right. Uh, so you've got your choice today. Uh, we either have a movie introduction, uh, or I have a little something that was put together by Court and Fatboy, uh, utilizing some of the sounds that we have played. You'll forgive the pun. Ad nauseum over the last couple of days. I don't know. I kind of like the the idea of the latter. All right. Now you you, think, this is you asking for this. I agree. This is you requesting this. I just want to see Tim laugh about. All right. Let me just. Just let me. I don't mean to horrify everybody right off. It's not going to be another vomit-filled broadcast, not in the auditory sense anyway. But I should give just a couple little bits of background. So we played. Uh, what is today? Today's Wednesday. So I think on Monday we had the tornado vomit noise, which we will not be revisiting like at length in the program. But I played that. I know that we're at the top of the show here, and I'm taking up all the time doing a preamble. But I should say that because guys are guys. Uh, I found myself playing that for Court and Fatboy yesterday, who, of course, were then doubled over with laughter. And it was sort of like some weird roach motel of dude humor, because I'm like, hey, have you heard that thing of the guy vomiting the tornado? And they're like, no, I haven't. And so I immediately had to play it for Court, who then called Fatboy over, who then called Joe Cassavetian, who then called Bozik in. So if you had walked by their prep area yesterday, you would have seen at one point, I think, about seven different guys all standing around the computer convulsed with laughter as we just played, like, the tornado vomiting sound over and over again. Then we started playing the then we then we got out this whole jag of really odd noises and we started playing uh, the Richie summoning music which I don't uh, I don't have in front of me no. I had to remove it for something well you know the uh, uh, right here right that so we started playing that and then we added into it that uh, noise that Court made the other night which uh, right there mm. <laughs> so so we had that and then we also had the uh, just the edit of the vomit, uh, which is this right here. So we really need to start the show. So just quite of his own volition, uh, Fatboy put a little something together for us because he is uh, a mixer. He is a mixer. He is a, a DJ in both sense of the words. Uh, so uh, anyway, so Court uh, and Fatboy kind of threw this together. I think I think Fatboy did it, and then Court kind of signed off on it. And so here is how we will begin today's program at the behest of Sarah Dillon, ladies and gentlemen. The Rick Emerson Experience. Fatboy Roberts from KUFO put that together. Uh, I think with auditory input from uh, from Court and the tornado vomiting guy in Kansas. So well done, Fatboy. 
Uh, why, hello, it is 10 minutes and 11 seconds after the hour of 11, and this, the month of June of the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming, Bob, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson cavalcade of amusement and whimsy. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. I'm going to make that my ringtone. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to join us today uh, with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, or what have you. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane uh, ruminations on the deranged narcissism of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Whatever you might have. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. <clears throat> or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right. I know it's difficult to top Fat Boy's work of genius there, uh, but we'll do our very best. Coming up later on today, we'll have CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, who will be joining us today to talk about last night's sealing of the nomination by one Barack Obama. Uh, Jim Roop will be uh, joining us from Los Angeles as well with his own particular brand of journalistic insanity. Uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. We'll talk to Chris Sneedon from OnTheVig.com who sent me a message last night. He texted me and the text message just said, when do I get to come on and gloat? And I sent him one back and I said, when would you like to to gloat, Chris Sneedon? And he said, tomorrow. And I said, okay. Uh, So at 11.45 today uh, or so, we'll talk to Chris Sneedon from OnTheVig. Uh, let's see, Dan. Actually, we'll talk to him a little after that, Tyler. Could we put? Jim well, in? we'll call him. I mean, I told him we'd call. Him. Okay. Yeah, he'll. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. is that true? Mm-hmm. Wait. So, when did we put Jim? Uh, he's gonna be at eleven forty-five. Well, we'll just call he... Chris early then. Yeah, he's in a news conference right now. Okay. So we'll call. All right. So we'll that. So we'll have Chris Nathan and then uh, and then Jim Roop. Uh, we'll talk to Dan from uh, Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing today. He's gonna talk to us about their upcoming event this Saturday for Worldwide Dungeons and Dragons Day. Uh, celebrating the uh, release of uh, fourth edition D and D. Let's see. So, uh, you know, this was a time for her to get the party. What do we have? Get... What? Oh, I was uh, listening to some deranged narcissism. Okay. Oh, I have. Oh, is that the Jeffrey Tubin quote? Yeah, I have that. And that she... No, I, I I isolated that out this morning. Actually, somebody sent that to me. Um, let's see what else is coming up today. Uh, we'll do the uh, top five, top five pre 1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Uh, top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Uh, you know, in other words, a song featuring a guest appearance by another notable artist. And you okay, gotta, there's going to be a guest appearance for the top five. No, you have to, and you have to kind of make it uh, pre-1990 because sort of with the advent of, like, at, at around 1994 uh, with the release of The Chronic, especially in the world of hip-hop and R&B, it was just, there's no song released that doesn't have an appearance from five other people on it. Uh, so we're making this a pre-1990 list. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, and we'll have a deaf man singing a white snake song. So uh, that's all coming up. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. So we'll talk about uh, Hillary pretending to win. The question remains, though, what does Hillary want? After she refuses to quit an election, she was clearly beaten. <laughs> 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 I mean, seriously. I mean, I was what, what's left to be done. Oh no, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, she I... was beaten. Has no one told you that? <laughs> and it was everybody afraid. It wasn't just sort of a figurative beating. I mean, it was a full-on beating. I mean, it's it's sometimes when they say it's over, they say that when it's not really over. Like they'll say that in football, you know, when there's still 
you know, because it's fourth and inches or something, but there's only a second on the clock. And they'll say, well, clearly this is a contest that is over. I think the Steelers have really put the final nail into the Raiders' coffin. But this is not that. It's over. It's done. Mm-hmm. People have packed things up. Phones are being disconnected. Expense accounts are being closed. And also, you know, he's the nominee. So there's that to consider. Do you see her on last night when she on TV last night when she said that thing when she said I will not be making a decision tonight. Uh, I mean, the decision was already made. <laughs> I mean, we'll play that song, but again, Jesus, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> she really is a nutty woman. It really is. So I sat there last night watching CNN, um, and I mean, I mean, you got to give it to her. She got by her estimate 18 million votes. So I don't know how many votes she really got. I mean, by the, by Hillary's like crazy nutcase math. I mean, maybe it's 18 million, but I mean, she got a fair number of people to vote for. But you know that. You know, it's not horseshoes. Close doesn't count. You lost. And, so and you know I love Hillary Clinton, but I'm sitting there on television, and clearly she had just taken leave of her senses, or else... Or, or here's the other thing. Or maybe just the people around her were keeping the actual figures from her. Like, maybe she wasn't really allowed to see any of the charts or the math, and she just doesn't know that she's lost. You know what I mean? It's sort of like how you hear in the final days of, um, in the final days of World War II, just nobody was... Nobody really had the guts to go, but not, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Hitler, you've, uh, no, it's it's over. The allies have, uh, sir, you've, I mean, nobody wanted to do that, right? Right. Who was going to go up to Adolf Hitler and go, no, it's over. You're, you're hosed, Adolf. It's, uh, I'm sorry. You know, have you, have you put in a ditch and set on fire? So everybody would just kind of, you'd be like, oh, we're winning. And everybody, that's right. Okay. Meanwhile, quietly updating their resumes, uh, you know, or applying for Argentinian passports. So maybe that's the thing with Hillary Clinton. They just won't tell her because they're afraid. Well, in any event. So anyway, uh, Hillary doesn't realize that it's over and she's been beaten. Yet she refuses to quit. Other things going on. A Montana con- uh, congressman, a guy running for Congress, who refused to campaign one in his state. The Rose Festival begins today, and that means bridge lifts and copy yeah. and headaches and people snarling at each other. What time is that going to start? It begins around 2. Oh, oh, which means it begins around 3. Of course. Well, actually, it, it comes before that because the kids' parade is today around 1. Well, that's great. Crap. Wonderful. The kids' parade. The children's parade. All right. Uh, oh, TV said McMahon faces foreclosure of his lovely Beverly Hills home. Apparently, he broke his back, hasn't been able to work or pay his mortgage. So he's falling behind. You can't evict Ed McMahon. He's like $600,000 in past due notices. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe you can. I don't know. How do you fall $600,000 behind? This is Beverly Hills. I mean, these are mortgage payments. I, I suppose, how many delinquency fines is that? Really, that's a substantial amount of debt you've accrued there, Mr. McMahon. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell says being on The View was like being in a women's prison film. And that masturbating Woodburn police officer has quit. Well, okay, then. It'll turn up a big lot, so I guess. Uh, all right, so uh, all that, we've got a penis watch today. We've got, uh, let's see, a geek watch. Did I give you that geek watch about the size of women's bosoms in, uh, yeah, in video games? Good. You might want to check in there. I, I printed I out. I'm so busy with all the Hillary stuff. I haven't had time to. <laughs> well, to look in the bosom. <laughs> you, which is ironic on it several is. levels. It is. You've been busy, busy tracking Hillary Clinton's successful campaign for the nomination of her party. Uh-huh. All right. Well, maybe it's on the printer. Uh, yeah, I have a geek watch that has to do with uh, with bosoms. So we'll, we'll, we got that. Uh, double taser watch and the other stuff. All right. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stellan. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. And are you going to repeat what I said? Would you like to share with everybody else your clothing choice this morning or lack thereof? Sarah's not wearing a bra. I just, I went up, I 
I got up early that. and then I went to, well, we got over talking earlier, and I oh. got up early and went to my friend's house for breakfast and then it didn't really occur to me. Now, but I mean, isn't that a thing you sort of, that's like, I know it's please like, forgive the question, but isn't that like forgetting, forgetting to wear, uh, wear underwear? No, I mean, I you just I sort of. If, you're, if, you're, if your bosoms are very, very large, which mine are not. And I'm wearing like a, I have like a, like a long, like tight black tank top that I'd wear under, like I'm wearing underneath right. my shirt because I have a really long torso. Like an ad hoc sports bra almost. Yeah, kind of, except it's a tank top and not a bra. All right. Well, then. So I, am, I am quite comfortable, so I've got to say. <laughs> okay. Although I shall be leaving my big baggy sweatshirt on all day. I was just going to say, as long as you're going to be covered in multi-layers of clothing. Seriously. Otherwise, it's just awkward for everybody. So um, are you, now are you a woman who can occasionally get away without wearing a bra? I've never done it. So, but is so it a, do you feel I free? I feel free. Do you feel as though you've broken free the man shackles about how your bosoms are to be treated? You guys have no idea. I don't. No idea how I, painful it is. Like having wires strapped to your body all day. I thought bras were made. I thought that that was only like in the, the, the days of yore. No, I thought bras were to, comfortable. No. I mean, I thought that's the, that's, what, that's what Jane uh, that's what Jane Russell or whatever was always saying in those well, mating form commercials. Well, you having to strap something onto your chest every day. Like you just have to do it every single day. That's not. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world. So you're saying. So this isn't. So it's not like wearing underwear. No, because there are lots of like, like loopy, pokey things, and like the you, you know there are like loops in the back that you have to adjust in the underwire. And, and especially if it starts to get worn in any way, then I would imagine it pokes through and causes you some kind of pain. Yes. All right. Okay. But yeah. Feeling, feeling natural. Do you, do you feel a little bit like a hippie? I feel a little bit like a hippie. Do you feel like you ought to be on Alberta Street selling, like, ceramics to somebody? I feel like you need to go join the drum circle with the guy who lives behind me. Yeah. Relentless bongos. All right. Well, in any event, so there you go. Yeah. So do with that information what you will. Well, thanks for that. Uh-huh. All no, right. and thanks for the tickets to uh, Kanye last night. Unfortunately, I couldn't go. So is that the, so it was Kanye, it was, uh, Kanye and uh, uh, who else? Rihanna? Rihanna yeah. and uh, NERD. And yeah. don't thank you know. me. Thank your new, uh, thank your new brothers and sisters at Jammin. So. Oh, so that's uh, you know the hookup and many other things undoubtedly to come. See, it's now you have now you can go see in the in the course of one month you can go see uh, you can go see Kanye and you can go see Trace Atkins. There you that's go. That's true. It's CBS cast a broad. I mean, like uh, Slipknot or something. Yeah, it's because we cast it's because we cast a broad tent here. <laughs> it's true. All right. Uh, so I right, something else to do. We got We'll break here in a few because we have a uh, Jim. Uh, we have Chris Needham coming up at eleven thirty-five. Jim Roop at eleven forty-five. I will say. So thanks to Mailman Chris's sterling review of. So while you were attempting to go see Kanye West last night, and Tim was at home behind an iron door, shunning all human contact. So I went out to try to find the Lego Indiana Jones game, um, which first of all. It just, it's just like a big cluster F in terms of that game's uh, release because it, Mailman Chris found it on sale on uh, Friday, even though it was not supposed to go out anywhere until uh, yesterday. So he found it like four days early. I went out last night. I had to go to three different places before I could even find it in stock. I went to, uh, we'll say, a, a prominent video chain that's on Hawthorne. And they were completely oblivious to the fact that it had even been released. It wasn't on the shelf. They didn't have the storeroom. It wasn't anywhere. Uh, then I went to... Um, there is a, another nationally prominent video store uh, near my home. I went there. They had managed to stock two copies. That's all. They, like, one of the most widely anticipated games of the year. They had two copies on the shelves. Uh, so I wasn't able to get it there. I ended up going to another video store that was way up the street, like way, way deep into, into southeast. There, they had it in stock, but they didn't even know they had it in stock. It was sitting in an unlabeled box behind the counter. Uh, so I was finally able to chisel a copy out of them, and I went home and I don't know. Was lost. it awesome? Yeah, it was, it was great. It really is. But I, the, the thing is, I've come to the realization. I sent Seamus an email about this. I know that Indiana Jones, the Lego game, is you know, it's a big deal uh, because it's a follow-up to the Lego Star Wars game, which was, which was uh, you know, made a really big splash. 
I've come to this conclusion that I'm just too simple-minded for games like that, though. I just, I'm not smart enough. Because the, the, because the Lego... the NES, like the original NES system, I don't understand any other video games. And it's all about, like, problem-solving and puzzles, and there's, like, weird riddles you have to figure out, and it, like, you have to... I mean, there's just a whole lot of thinking. And the, it, I've come to the conclusion that I want my video games to be a whole lot less work and a whole lot more blowing things up. And so, the, you know, the, the sections of the game where I was sort of running from giant boulders or swinging across pits filled with snakes, that was all great. But as soon as the game stops down and makes me want to, like, figure something out, I just I lose interest. And so I did what I always do. I played it for a few hours, kind of got bored with the puzzle-making aspect of it, and then just put this game called Black uh, back into the system and just started it's shooting just at things. It's just called Black? It's just called Black. It's that Black. sound like your perfect game. It's, it's a game called, the game is called Black. The front, the box, if you look at the box, the cover art is just a whole bunch of bullets laying on the ground. And the entire game is just a huge walkthrough carrying a variety of Soviet-made weapons while you shoot at people. And that's it. No plot, no puzzles, no tricks, nothing to figure out, no keys to collect, no blue coin boxes in the sky you have to bump into. All you do is shoot things and watch them explode. So I just... It, I remember trying to play Legend of Zelda and kind of feeling the same way, that it just sort of outstripped my mental... I think I can't get into video games like that for the same reason I can't get into progressive rock. It, it, it's just, there's just too much going on. I just need it to be more stripped down and basic. I just have I just have a primate brain. I mean, that's really it what really it is. It really does sound like that. I mean, I have the brain of a chip. Legend of Zelda is the greatest video game ever. See, and I understand that that's true. I know that there's a lot of people who are into it, but it's just there's just too much to figure out. I mean, I want my I want my games to be very linear. I just want to be able to walk around and set fire to things. That's really, really all I want. <laughs> there really isn't anything to figure out. You just wander around the land and then, you know, find yeah. a thing at the end. I suppose. If I mention that we're going to have a deaf guy singing White Snake later? Yeah. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. You are the first call of the day. You are setting the tone for the entire program. And if I you was are totally good, hoping on that. Oh, see, now we're already stepping on each other. Now, come on now. All right, if you are good, the entire program will soar on the wings of angels. If you, your, your program always soars on the wings of angels. Uh, no, uh, I was going to say uh, that intro. Uh, that I think that would sound really good to the tune of Iron Man. The uh, the court and fab, yes. If I just, what do you mean? But as though if it were like put into some sort of a sampling device and then they used it to play songs. Well, no, just uh, put the the the, uh, the Iron Man tune in the background. Sarah, do, you, do we have Iron Man by Black Sabbath? Oh, the one. I mean, that's undoubtedly in the system. You could probably find it on the, over on your computer as well. And, All right, and, we'll we'll look into it. And creepily, this is also uh, Steve from the Couve, who uh, was uh, the Monty Python guy that was at the Easter brunch way back when, wearing um, a big uh, shiny purple shirt. Yes. Ah, tell me, I don't remember things. That's like four years ago. Yeah. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. All Bye. Right, there you go. All right. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Uh, is it, the, the scariest thing that can happen to you is you lose your thought just as you hear that sound of the, the phone engaging. Oh. Don't you hate that? Would you like to take a moment? I'm dangling here, Rick. Hold on. I'll, I'll put on some music for you to think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is like some Nine Inch Nails in hell. It is. All right. Have you have you retained your thoughts, sir? It's, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm hopelessly lost. All right. But great show. Thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Oh, that poor guy. All right. We should probably take a break here. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. By the way, before we break, let me just say, so everybody knows... 
Uh, one random caller who gets on the air today will win a copy of The Muppet Show Season 3, a four-DVD box set. The Muppet Show, the complete third season. Uh, the Muppet Show, the complete third season, available now on DVD from Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment. Available on DVD for the first time. The complete third season of the Emmy Award-winning Muppet Show comes in a special four-disc set with new behind-the-scenes bonus features and rare original skits every fan must own. Available now from Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment. So again, one random caller today who gets on the air will win a copy of The Muppet Show, the complete third season on DVD. Uh, we'll take a break. Come Did you back. Want to hear the Iron Man thing? Do you have Iron Man? Uh -huh. Right. I'm unclear about what the guy was even sort of suggesting, though. But let's we'll give it a try. I don't know if it's going to work. Hold on, let me just. I think it works all that well. I think it's an interesting theory, though. All right. I'm sorry about everything. We'll take a break. Come back after this. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. You stay... Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thanks for coming along. I don't know where my uh, I don't know where my white snake went. The death guy white. Where did snake? I put my death guy white snake? Oh wait, here we go. All right. Hey, uh, Richie Bristol, uh, let us obtain uh, Chris Sneven. If you want to do that, we have uh, Jim Roop coming up at 11:45. Tim Riley's Ministry of Truth. Can I point out something that's kind of okay? It's distracting me, and it's not the fact that you're not wearing a bra. It's the fact <laughs> that you've got a huge piece of glitter on your face. Where? Uh, it's on your left, right here. But on your left side, it's directly, it's like between your nostril and your lip. And it almost... just leave it there to make you... Well, crazy. I mean, I'm just, because if I didn't I know, it, it seems to be huge. It's like a disproportionately large you know piece of glitter. Where I just we... got this, I, I have this like glittery lip gloss stuff. Uh-huh. And I was like rubbing my lips together. I don't really care. It's just that it's, uh, it, it sort of weirds me out because it's throwing off it's a massive uh, reflection. Okay, and crazy, it, hang on. It's just, it's it, 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 like so much so that it looks like you've got uh, whatever one of those piercings are. Oh, like one of like the beauty mark piercing. Yeah, like, exactly. Like where, where girls would get pierced right where a beauty mark would be, and it's only when you turn at just a certain I don't angle. See, it. see, I know that's the other thing about that weird. <laughs> like you'll get the weird glittery. See, I you can't see, but it right, right over there, it's right there. Is this it? I don't know. Wait, I mean, by definition, I won't be able to know. It's no, it's still there. <laughs> Isn't this frustrating? No, you're not going to come and pick it off my face. I'm not going to come and pick it off your face, but I'm saying it's this is sort of like when you've got Wait, something. Wait, is it there? <laughs> we're totally doing that. Is it here? Here? More over? What about over here? Wait, what about not here? Not so much here, but here. See, but now we are becoming a Family Guy sketch where it's like Peter oh, would wait, have something up, right there. That's what I'm. That's got it. There you go. All right, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got some more on your face, know, but I'm I not going totally to. I'm not going to point it out. That right now. It's okay. It was just that one was sort of weirding me out. Because it looked like you had a piercing, which is fine, but I know you don't. And so it was like it was like Crystal Pepsi, where it looked like Seven Up, tasted like a cola, and then your brain couldn't figure it out, and you suffered some kind of cognitive collapse. All right. Okay, now can we focus? You want to hear the uh, Deaf White Snake guy? Yes, I do indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, a Deaf Man singing "Still of the Night" by White Snake, right here on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. <laughs>
was on YouTube. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Our good friend, no, no, no. <laughs> Chris Sneathan from OnTheVig.com. Hello, sir. Hey, I want that to be my intro music from now on. <laughs> done and done, my friend. That was awesome. I've also got him singing Aces High by Iron Maiden, but it's not quite as it's not quite as oh, mainstream. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, oh man. What's so great is he even does uh, he even does the part later on where there's the weird sort of cello solo in that song, and he's doing a lot of Oh Baby Baby, but of course it's you know. <laughs> You know, it's like one big, open, mangled vowel sound. All right, well, let's talk last night. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how crazy is Hillary Clinton? Uh, you know, I don't want to go there. I I want to be magnanimous. Don't be magnanimous. But, but a 9. I mean, is let me ask you this. Is it A, that she just can't let go of the spotlight, B, she is so unaccustomed to losing, uh, her and Bill Clinton both, that she just can't kind of wrap her brain around the fact that it's over? Is it C, that she somehow believes that there is another shoe that's going to drop somehow, and so she's just staying there in the wings because she thinks something's going to happen? Uh, D, uh, other. I mean, it was just the moment, I, I mean, I think you. I actually sent you a text last night as I was watching the speech, and when she made that that observation last night, uh, you know, a, as she has lost, she says, I will not be making any decision tonight. Right. And I think there was the collective sound of about 50 million people scratching their heads and kind of doing a WTF kind of a thing. Well, and and uh, you're right. She, she doesn't know what to do at this point because she, it was her it was her baby from the beginning. I mean, she was a presumptive nominee. You and I talked about this 18 months ago. It was hers to lose, and congratulations, dear, you lost it. And so, you know, I, she doesn't know what she's going to do from here. She wants to go and talk to Obama. She wants, I assume she wants to come up to Chappaqua, but there's no way that's going to happen. And she's got to figure out what what her life is going to look like from here out, because obviously it's her plans have been derailed. So I, a lot of programs won't traffic in speculation and ill-founded gossip sure. uh, and scurrilous rumor. But we, however, are not one of those shows. We absolutely yeah. traffic in those things. So what is nobody else is probably going to ask ask her this or ask any sort of journalist this. But is this is her hanging around? Uh, and just sort of like like the psycho ex-girlfriend that won't go away. Is that because of this chatter that we're hearing sort of about some uh, weird tape with Michelle Obama on it? I haven't heard anything about that. Do tell. It was uh, I read something about it online the other day. Dennis Miller was talking about it today. I think I think Sean Hannity did some whole thing on it. And of course, so the, you know, consider the, consider the provenance. But, right. But the, the, the sort of word on the street, and I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't gotten wider traffic than it has. Right. Is that there is supposedly, and again, I'm just uh, sort of relaying right. what is sort of in the whisper stream. There is supposedly some videotape that what that is, that is in existence, that is out there, and that according to one story was for sale in the sort of bookstore at Jeremiah Wright's church on which Michelle Obama is seen or heard or whatever, making what they have charitably described as very, very racially inflammatory comments. And, I mean, I've, I've kind of heard it, and I've had a bunch of different people email me about it. I don't know whether it exists. I don't know whether well, it doesn't it exist. Well, it be out. That's sort of what yeah. I thought is, I mean, you can't really keep that stuff secret at this point. She's waiting. She's obviously, she's part of what she's doing is she's waiting for something to happen. She's waiting for some slip-up. 
the next Jeremiah Wright, you know, if this tape exists, that would – she's not waiting around for this tape per se, but she's waiting around for something like that to happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. She's um, – I mean, having having she's pulled, waiting for for America, I think, to wake up and to figure out that Barack has more than one black friend. And having pulled, um, you know, 18 million votes, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of. I mean, she really was making the point last night that you know, not even really between the lines. I mean, she she all but came out and just said that with 18 million votes, that she has to be uh, the number two. That she has yeah, to be the VP. You, so let's rerun the primary starting today. Will she get 18 million votes again? She's already behind in California, where she won. So if you had to call she, it right now in terms of a VP? Uh, it won't be her. It'll be other. I mean, you, would, you want me to pick Hillary or the field? Or it'll, be, pick... it'll be it'll be non-Hillary. It'll be the field. <laughs> it's gonna be a weird. It's gotta be a weird vibe when she goes back to the Senate, though, right? I mean, there's gotta be some some strange awkwardness uh, when she goes back. Well, it and depends tries to on what she on what she wants to do. If she wants to go back and be, um, she has a role to play in the Obama uh, administration, and and he'll be the first to say that. Now, whether it's as a leader in the Senate shepherding through this program that they want to do, because, I mean, they they want to accomplish 95% of the same stuff. Will she do that in the Senate? Will she do that as part of the Cabinet? Will she do that as some sort of a, a newly created, you know, minister of all things Hillary position? That's what they've got to figure out. And you, can she go back to the Senate? Absolutely. She, I think she can go back to the Senate, and she'll be stronger for it. I will say this, though, having just watching it last night as she was sort of up there, uh, you know, and she thanked, uh, you know, Bill and Chelsea. And Bill, I mean, and I think some of his statements in the last few days sort of echo this, that guy was just so mentally checked out last night. I mean, you could tell his feet were already in the sands on the beach of Maui. Right. I, mean, that's, I, I would imagine it's going to be a good long while before you see Bill and Hillary out uh, doing anything in public together again. I think there's a good long vacation from each other in the works. <laughs> you, All right. You're probably right. We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to run here. So consider that uh, consider the White Snake uh, song your personal intro, my friend. Very well. All right. Chris Neathan from OnTheVig.com. Thank you. All right. There you go. Excellent. Um, yeah, Bill. Boy, God, Bill Clinton just looked like he wanted to be anywhere but there last night. He just, it was just a whole lot of like. I mean, he did everything but sit there and sort of nervously look at his watch and tap his feet. Uh, all right, is this... Oh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome down to the Rick Emerson Show. From Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent James Rube. Hello, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you, my brother? I'm doing well, thank you. So, tell me about this woman uh, that they busted in California for... What is it? She she has eight kids, but she was she was dealing drugs with a handful of the kids around her in the car or helping her or something? Well, they were in the car, her two youngest kids, I think three and five years old. Uh, what's interesting about this is, first of all, she's 35 years old with eight kids. The oldest kid's 18. So do the math. That's an early start. That's a very early start. And no wonder she's screwing up. But the problem here really is that in her house, they found $10,000 in cash which isn't a whole lot if you think about how much she was dealing. But they were fi they found uh, tar heroin all over that apartment, stuffed in baby shoes, on the counters, you know, real easy access. And, and the stuff looks like candy. If you've ever seen tar heroin in a baggie, right. it looks like candy. Um, and, and so it, the authorities are a little upset about that. <laughs> but the weird thing is they've been watching her for a while, 
is that she would jump in her SUV in the family car and go out and do her drug dealing and bring the kids with her and, in fact, encourage the kids to talk to the buyers. Wow. Uh, so just reaching right across the seat, handing over drugs and taking money. So, I mean, it really is. It's an amazing story. And one of the, uh, one of the drug enforcement agents that, or officers that were involved said, you know what? He said, when you're a law enforcement officer, when you're a police officer, you get used to a lot of things. And this ain't one of them. Jeez, I mean, the, the idea that, I mean, however old the kids are, that you've just got the kids riding along shotgun in your drug deals is, I mean, I know there's something to be said that for family togetherness and whatnot, but I mean, it, 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 really, does, it really does solve the question of why do so many kids grow up to be such miscreants? I mean, really, it does remove all the mystery from that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and she would leave the other kids. The 18-year-old doesn't live with her anymore, but the, uh, the other ones do, 17 on down. But she would, the 17 and 15-year-old, I think, were always out. So she would leave overnight the, the, you know, 14 and younger, the rest of those kids. She'd leave them home all night by themselves. You know, it was really, really crazy. You know what I think about when I when I hear about people that sort of deal in, I mean, re, you know, people that are really heavy drug dealers, people that are out there dealing, you know, a lot of cocaine or they're out there dealing heroin. I always sort of think it, it's sort of like those people that are that are on the highway chases, whether you know, where the KCAL helicopter is following them or something. And you you always think to yourself, like, what, how do they think this is going to end? I mean, do they do they see some sort of logical exit strategy that doesn't involve them being thrown on the ground and beaten with billy clubs? And the only conclusion I've come to, because, I mean, let's be honest, there's so much money in drug dealing. Even being, I think, a low-level drug dealer is, in pure economic terms, vastly profitable. But, I mean, I think the thing that keeps us all from doing it is either, A, the sense that we, we get you know, that it's immoral, or, B, just that it's highly illegal and you're going to get pinched and you're going to end up going to jail or both. And I think there's just people like this who lack some sort of fear gene. I mean, that's got to be it, right? They just they have no sense of consequence. Or greed, I think, takes over. But you're right, the consequences are so steep that most of us with some sort of compass about us, whether it be moral or, or otherwise, you know, can make the choice not to do it. I mean, we want to live our lives outside of a prison cell. Yeah. But what's, what's interesting, too, is, is that's one reason why, and I covered the Libertarian National Convention a couple of weeks ago in Denver, that's one of the reasons why they want to legalize most narcotics, because it would take the black market uh, value away. It, were, it would reduce crime. Uh, they, they tout the fact that uh, some other countries like uh, Amsterdam, Switzerland, some other folks who have legalized a certain amount of narcotics, the crime rate just plummeted because lots of murders and crime really, I think 60% of them, they said, revolve around narcotics and, and trying to get money for drugs. So they want to legalize it because it would take the black market price out of it. It would, it would uh, drop the... Uh, the crime rate and all of this stuff. So there's something to be said for that. I suppose you, you, you got to assume that there's just such an industry built up around uh, the arresting of, the trying of, the imprisoning of, the incarcerating of, and then the paroling of uh, drug users and drug dealers. I mean, there's just so much money to be made uh, by keeping it illegal. There's an entire. I think we. I think. I think nonviolent drug offenders are a larger percentage of the prison population here than anybody else. And there's so much money at stake. But real, real quickly before before you go, speaking of money, are you following this thing about uh, how they're trying to kick Ed McMahon out of his house? Yeah, six hundred and forty-four thousand dollars. Look, not all of that is his fault. Now, he was behind in payments because about eighteen months ago he fell, broke his neck. He hasn't been able to work uh, very much, and then he's he's fell behind. He's got eight point four million dollars or four point eight million dollars in mortgage loans out there, and he fell behind about. 
$600,000. And that's not a whole lot when you're talking $4 million worth of mortgage loans. But the problem is he, he fell short to Countrywide Financial that defaulted in March. So now he's, he's really up the creek because he, 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 I mean, there's nobody that, that can fix the situation for him. He has to really negotiate with some the lenders that took over his mortgage. And while that's going on, you know, he's got to foreclose. The problem, though, is he's been trying to sell that house for two years. It's real close to Britney Spears' house, and he can't sell it. Nobody <laughs> wants to buy it because of all the damn paparazzi that I had never place. thought about that, about the curse of being Britney Spears' neighbor is that nobody wants to buy your house. That's exactly what the real estate agent told me this morning. Is that nobody wants to buy this thing because there's constant uh, paparazzi all up and down that street, and it's just it's a nuisance. So uh. people come to look at the house, they say, eh, you know, never mind. Okay, I have an idea for how he can solve this, though, and it'll look great on television as well, because I know he, you know, that's how Ed McMahon makes most of his money now, is he endorses for various products, and he's a pitch man, as they say. And, of course, he's famously uh, aligned with Publishers Clearinghouse for the longest time. Here's what they ought to do. Publishers Clearinghouse ought to offer him a flat fee to endorse for them for the rest of his life. I mean, I know he's, he's getting up there. He's in his 80s. Uh, but, you know, Paul Harvey's still working. So Publishers Clearinghouse ought to say, look, we will write you a check. We will cover all of your outstanding house costs but it, but in return you are going to work for us like as long as you are able to work and then here's what you do you get the great image of the publisher's clearinghouse guy showing up at ed mcmahon's house with a huge cardboard check to cover his rent come on that's great that is brilliant now you pass that along you talk to ed you tell him that you know try to put that together think of what the, think about what a great publicity coup that would be that would be wonderful. All right. For both, for both Publishers Clearinghouse and for Ed McMahon. And I, gotta, and I don't know what he charges to endorse, but if he's a huge celebrity even now. I would imagine that he charges a couple million bucks to endorse something. You just say, look, we'll, we'll give you a flat fee of $644,000, and you work for us you know, for the rest of your life. And then and you just call the TV crews, big cardboard check, everybody wins. It's a publicity bonanza. Can you imagine that? Big cardboard check and a bouquet of balloons. Yeah. Pass you, you pass, if you see them, you pass that along. You don't even have to give me credit. I'll give you credit. All right. Thank you, brother. As always, a pleasure. Enjoy your day, my friend. Thank you, there sir. There you go. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. All right. Wonderful. All right, um, let me play the spelling bee kid, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come oh, back. Oh, this you were talking about yesterday? Yeah, I went to play yesterday, and I, it's, it's, it's kind of dated now because I think it happened on Saturday or Friday or something. Um, but I'm kind of a sucker for kids and spelling bees. Uh, so this is, I forget the kid's name. Uh doesn't really matter. So he steps up there, and there's, because these spelling bees are just, there's just such hyper-serious events I mean, for something that is, you'll, I mean, I don't mean to insult anybody. Like, if your kids really go to the spelling bee or something, it's fundamentally stupid. It really is. There's no practical application for the mastery of obscure words that you will never... Being in a spelling bee, and don't get me wrong... I can I'm see a, the difference between obscure words and, like, just being a good speller. I mean, I'm a, re, I'm a stickler for spelling. I'm a stickler for grammar and communication and so forth. The thing, and I'm, so I'm not, and as, as my mother would always say, well, it beats running around with a zip gun, whatever a zip gun is. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying it's fundamentally useless. Being being a, a kid who's really good at spelling words that you will never use in real life is like being one of those guys that can memorize pi to 10,000 decimal places. I mean, it's impressive, and I suppose it's being sitting at home smoking crack. But <laughs> by, the, by the same token, there's really no point to it. I mean, really, that's just a thing you do until you discover girls or until they discover you, my friend. 
So I don't mean to be like I'm poking fun at the spelling bee uh, guys, but they just take it so unbelievably seriously. And you watch these spelling bee events, and it's I just I love like, that movie Spellbound. Well, do, you, do you own that? Oh yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I just I watch and I identify with that little hyperactive spastic kid. Uh, who's just sort of running around screaming all the time. He's just like a little wound-up ball of please give me Ritalin, because that's exactly what I was like as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and you just see that the parents and the teachers and the coaches they hire, they just place so much importance on this. And so when you watch the actual spelling bee, there's just there's all of this uh, sort of somberness and this pomp and circumstance, which is what makes it great when a little moment of, uh, of levity happens. So this is from the spelling bee that happened over the weekend. Samir Mishra returns. Numnut. <laughs> what? Numnut? What? Numnut. <laughs> the look on his on his Numnut face is, is just a belt or sheepskin pad. One of absolute puzzlement. Back and the saddle to prevent chafing. Can can I get? Can I say it and then you say it? Yeah. Numna. Oh, Numna. <laughs> That's a relief. How great is that? That's a And then he spells it. Anybody know here how to uh, spell numna? Numna? No. Sarah? Am I supposed to try? Yes. Uh, K N no. U M. <laughs> N U M O P Q. No, no we're done. Okay, well, how did you spell it? It's I think it's N U M N A H. Uh, which and I think if I remember correctly, they sort of take the fun out of this if you're playing at home because I think they put the word up on the screen as the kid is spelling it, mm -hmm. which is not how they ought to do it. I think that they ought to uh, put the definition or the the language of origin or whatever they do up on the screen, and then you should be able to play along at home. But I think the one I was watching, which is on ESPN two, I think, uh, the, he said it. Like, as soon as he said the word, they show you the correct spelling anyway. So not numbnut, just in case you were wondering. Uh, Tim Riley, have you news for us? And plenty of it. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll get uh, started on the news. Uh, later on, we have uh, Steve Kastenbaum, who's going to be joining us. Also, Dan from Powell's Books will be speaking to us about the Worldwide Dungeons and Dragons Day coming up. Top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com and uh, Geek Watch. Stay there. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. And that guy was fat, too. I mean, like Orca fat. Uh, yeah. Janie Lane? Oh, yeah. I mean, not when he was in Warrant, not sort of back in the day. Uh, but if you saw him on Celebrity Fit Club, which I did, where they do that. Have you ever seen Celebrity Fit Club? I think I've seen a couple episodes, but I've never actively watched there it. Were the two, there was Celebrity Fit Club and there was... Biggest loser, and I was Celebrity Fit Club, though, I guess, is the one, yeah, that has the famous people on it. And so I, th I think that's the one, though, at the end, they all have to stand. It's on like the giant those, scale? The, like the Lady Liberty scales. You're the Lady Justice, you know, where it's like the two, the balances on each side. I remember seeing that, that is the most embarrassing thing I have ever seen. And Janie Lane, who everybody, you know, in my generation couldn't remember from when he was in Warrant and looked looked all dreamy. And just, you know, sort of, oh, and just sort of, what? Like lumbering up and standing, I'm so fat, and just stand, standing, standing on the, the scale, scale, go down a little further, standing on the scale, just 
Um, all right. So really, how far have you fallen if you're joining a show where you have to stand on a scale at the end? Where you have to stand on a scale with a bunch of other fat uh, contestants. How humiliating is that? I mean, I, my whole thing is... Tim, have you seen the giant scale? I haven't, no. Okay, oh, it's great. You, oh, I'm going to find it, you a it, YouTube video. It is just like the Lady Justice scales where the blindfolded statues holding the scales. But, uh, but it's the deal is, is it's Celebrity Fit Club, I think. Because, uh, uh, you know, my wife, watch, she watches that. She, watch, she watches... Rock of Love, and you know, she's, she's a total freak for reality shows, and especially any sort of contesty reality show. Um, and so, and by the way, when you think about MTV's The Real World, doesn't that seem like an unbelievably dated program in the sense that nobody was winning anything? I mean, really, you were just winning the chance to be on television. Uh, it seems really like a, it seems like a simple, very conservative show now. It seems. I hate to say this, MTV's The Real World almost seems tasteful at this point. But at the end of Celebrity Fit Club, I think at the end of each episode, the deal is they split the celebrities into two teams, and they each stand on one side of this huge scale. Like and it sounds exactly as it is. And it, this scale sort of rock back and forth like a triple beam, and it... Alright, Tim, here's the scale. You know, and then like Stephen Baldwin's team in, uh, inevitably loses. So, is that oh. the... Uh, so, here we are. Rapper and Celebrity Fit Club forecast member Bone Crusher. Oh, there's uh, Tina Younger. Oh, really? Does yeah. she look hot? She's looking exactly how she did when she was okay. in here. I demand more Tina Younger. Oh, let's see. I'll back it up a little. Oh, that's my own. So, here we are. Rapper and Celebrity Fit Club yeah. forecast She looks good. Oh, and that's so much his with his wife. Oh, there's Kearney Wilson. Entertainment. Of course. The label's first release in okay. the I just want well, to scales. In any event, so the only reason we're talking about Janie Lane from Warren is because Sarah was just reading during the break that Warrant is getting back together. So the, the classic down boys lineup of Warrant uh, will be uh, rejoining and doing whatever it is they do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. And our... Tim News Hour is brought to you by our wonderful new best friends at Leif's Auto Collision Centers and Leif's.com. Call today, find out what Leif's can do for you. A brand new sponsor, Leif's Auto Collision Center, brings you the noontime news. Okay, we have a lot of election stuff, and we'll get to all that. And we have a lot of local stuff, too, so it's kind of hard to balance all this stuff. But uh, let's give a little tease here. This is uh, from Overman last night, and they're discussing on MSNBC... Why Hillary Clinton is putting out the word behind the scenes, don't offer the vice presidency to another woman except for me. Uh, this kabuki <laughs> theater that you speak of, Howard, also has something of the you know psychic surgeon's kind of quality to it because it, without healing anything, it makes it look like it's the entire yes. Democratic Party's healed. Exactly. Uh, that they would be gestures of respect uh, that neither of them wants the other to accept. Uh, and the other thing that at least the Clinton people are saying, and the Obama people aren't interested in this at all, or at least talking about it, the Clinton people are saying, whatever you do, uh, Mr. Nominee, uh, presumptive, and now actual, uh, don't pick another. You, Hillary's not going to take the job, don't worry, but don't you dare pick another woman. Uh, now, that's what the Clinton people are saying, uh, and you can speculate as to the reasons for that. Uh, probably because Hillary feels that she's earned, with some justification, uh, the 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 role of of the of the Tribune of, of of Democratic women, especially Democratic working women, and she's not about to give that up to somebody else that Obama might pick to run on the ticket. Also, with she's him. crazy. So that's uh, he, the thing is he can't. There's no way though. I mean, there's no way Obama would pick another woman right now to be his VP because he knows. 
Uh, can you imagine how angry the female electorate in this country would get? I mean, and as the guy said, with some justification. Yeah. Can you imagine the, the wrath of voting women in America if he said, great, thanks, Hillary, I appreciate it. Meanwhile, I'm going to pick, you know, and then he brings up some other woman. There's just no way. I mean, not even as as confident uh, as that guy is, really, and as much as this does seem like his time, there is no way, uh, no man wants to uh, earn the wrath of that many women all at once. You know, that Hillary pulls 18 million votes and then he picks some other woman, there's just no way. There's, I mean, not... What would happen if it was Rosie O'Donnell? Would anybody dare do anything? I just... Uh, there's just... I cannot even imagine... Uh, the sort of tide that would immediately turn against him if he did something like that. So it remains to be seen whether he picks Hillary Clinton. But the thing about Hillary Clinton is at this point, I think that we're either going to look back at this and we're going to say that she was incredibly savvy or she was incredibly dumb by getting up there last night and just refusing to admit that she'd lost. It's like she wouldn't even, it's not even that she would refusing to admit that she'd lost. She sort of was acting like the race was still going. It wasn't just that it she was like it was another day. Somebody loaded in those speech to teleprompter. <laughs> exactly. From like her, her victory in uh, this speech copyright March 5th, 2006. Uh, it, did, it didn't even seem like she was acknowledging that any decision had been made anywhere a at all, uh, which there is something to be said for perception pacing reality. And if you act like a winner, you know, then you'll become a winner and act as act as that which you want to become and so forth. But on the other hand, she just looks batty. So. We'll get back to that in a few, but we have important local things like right. uh, children's parade and the masturbating policeman. Uh, first of all, not at the same time. No, no. Hopefully not. Children's parade featuring the masturbating policeman. Well, he might be on his own float by next year, for all we know, because... His own float. Yes. By the way, Sarah, you only moved that thing on your face. You didn't get rid of it. What Rick, you're going to have to deal with that. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you to do anything else. Cause well, there are so many of them on there. It is so hot in the studio. There's just a piece of glitter uh, on your face. But I'm just saying, I'm not going to dwell on it. it. Well, see, you can't see it because the light only... And no, I'm not crazy. This is not like your crazy... <laughs> no, the glitter can stay. This is not like your Thank fake you, uh, invisible insects that you wave at during this show. The glitter on Sarah's face is real. I don't think well, people know how... diplomatic. You can be Barack Obama and say the glitter can stay. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Well, people don't know how crazy you are with your specks and spots and stuff. Yeah. No, it's fine. It doesn't bother me, but I'm just you saying... You brought it up twice now. In case you were curious... I'm not curious. <laughs> ...as to whether you've gotten the glitter off your face, it. you just moved it closer to your mouth. That's all. Well, you that's kind of dragged it about half an inch. You know, I'm this close from covering my entire face with glitter, Rick Emerson. All right. Okay. So we have a, a whole bunch of ships coming in today. Do you care? Ships come in. Four of them arrive between 3 and 4 this afternoon, just in time for the rush hour track. Wait, hold on. So I have to... Oh, they come between three and four. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, see, four I have to I have to get go to the uh, to the airport today. Oh, that's good. <laughs> at like three thirty. Uh, oh, for the love of Christ, really? Yes. So when these I hate arrive, people and things. traffic will be delayed for fifteen minutes as the, fifteen minutes. The bridge is a That's an overly whisk them right in. At, uh, that's an overly sunny estimation, I would say. Fifteen minutes. Who are they fooling? No one. And once they come in, they're going to let you aboard to uh, to see what they do there. And they're asking you not to bring any weapons aboard, including knives, uh, firearms, and club weapons. Is there anybody at this point? Also, who... please, uh, no chemicals to spray, including mace and pepper spray and, and spray cans of any type. Are they, what about tasers? Are they telling you not to or are they asking you not to? No, these things are prohibited. Like, are they going to search you? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. No, I mean, not that no I'm suggesting that people do it. I'm just... No fireworks, flammable liquids, explosives... 
Uh, large bags, including backpacks, smelly diaper bags, and large camera bags. Is there anybody who really needs to go on a ship at this point and see what they look like inside? No. I mean, it's just gray, it's a gray metal and dials and things that go bing. That's it. Please Done. don't make political speeches, post displays, <laughs> or advertising when you get aboard the Do ship. Do not think for yourself. Engage in no discussion with your fellow citizens. Look at the ground at all times. Gather in groups of no more than two. So these uh, ships are going to be docked between the Steel and the Morrison Bridge on the Willamette River and remain there through Wednesday, June 4th, uh, fr from uh, today through Sunday, June 8th. There'll be security patrols at all times. So there. This uh, says, Rick, about Celebrity uh, Fit Club. What a lame show that is. Can you imagine somebody bringing a scale into their office and having a way off or checking their BMI against each other's while broadcasting it over the radio? I mean, TV? Yes. What a lame show. All right. Duly noted, sir. Touche. Here's Tim Riley. <laughs> and just to make things more visible for you, the Children's Parade is being held at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Is this like the cool Pied Piper kind where they leave the town and never come back? No. Oh. No, no. Uh, 10,000 kids are going to be on floats and they're going to oh, be on Sandy's 10,000 10, children. 10,000? And thus I did enter the realm of the undead. Uh-huh. Jesus, and here oh. my troubles began. 10,000 kids in the Hollywood district. Abandon hope, all ye who in enter here. In the Hollywood here. district? Oh. Uh-huh. So that's all I can tell you. That's about. where that old woman ran her car through the, uh, last, through the group of children year? a couple yeah, years ago. Last year. Yeah, yeah. I forgot all about that. Mm -hmm. I wonder where she is right now. Uh, I'll be in chains in the dungeon somewhere. So when, just so I can stay the hell away from there, one. today? Yeah. So the, I mean, by the time we get off the air, they're probably gonna, all going to be gone, except for the mess. I mean, for, what is the point of the children's parade? I mean, who... Don't let children be in the parade. But, I mean, what are they doing? Are they going from one place to... I mean, are they going somewhere in particular? Yes, they're going up and down the street. Is this some? Is this just another thing? Look, and I'm not trying to knock people off. Trying to be inclusive. But this is. Is this just another thing they're doing something so parents have something else to go look at their kids? Like another activity where parents can go watch their kids do something? Yes. Look at my kid. He's smart enough to walk in a straight line down the street. Woohoo! All right. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. Look, it's not like uh, if you go to a talent show. That's they one thing. Build the floats or something. Not are these are they kids in floats or are they just like on foot? <laughs> you know, it's just a parade of children. Well. Who's to say? No, some will be on float, some will be walking. I never got to ride in the float. Whenever I was in a parade when I was little, we just had to walk. I don't. There uh, were no parades for children when I was a kid. No, no, I don't think so. I think the, the children stood on the side, as was their place, and they watched. Uh, you know. My Girl Scout troop rocked it. Really? Oh yeah. Did you walk? Yeah, we walked, and you carried a banner with your um, with the logo, and then with what troop number you were. That's adorable. Are there pictures of you as a Girl Scout? Oh yeah. See, I, and I'm not trying to be stingy. I just don't have a lot of childhood photos. Uh, if there were, if I could find a photo of me as an altar boy, I would show you. My favorite photo I have of, is the one of uh, me and my new kids on the block yeah. outfit. Yeah. So, uh, all right, we'll try to stay out of the Hollywood district at one o'clock, like forevermore, because there's going to be ten thousand children there. Here's uh, Tim Riley. A masturbating policeman has quit. That Woodburn police officer arresting charges on exposing himself to his neighbors has quit his job. Uh, Jose Rodriguez had been placed on administrative leave after his arrest. Uh, three witnesses say they saw him standing in the doorway of his West Salem home and uh, pleasuring himself with his pants down to his ankles. They say he was aware that he was being watched. He was off duty. A neighbor took video as evidence and uh, said that Rodriguez had done it before, but was never caught on tape, but this time he was. So uh, I guess uh, Woodburn is looking for another police officer. Woodburn. Mm -hmm. Okay. So no more masturbating police officers in that town for now anyway. A police uh, say a man has been arrested on a DUI charge after slamming into 10 unoccupied vehicles on a used car lot. He was driving a Ford truck. And his car lot was on 82nd. Nobody was hurt when 63-year-old Dennis Deaton 
drove his truck into the car. Uh, he was impaired at the time and arrested on one count of DUI. No word yet on what it's going to cost to repair all these used cars. Does anybody else think it's hot in here? It's super hot in here. And, you know, and I can't take off my sweatshirt. Which is fine for me. Sarah's not wearing a bra, though, so she can't take off her sweatshirt. Oh, they do have they do have uh, T-shirts in the promotional area of, of our friends back here. I can, Sarah, well, you're already wearing... You I'm wearing like, three shirts. Okay. But I don't... I, feel weird. Um, I just, and that's fine. I understand. I'm not. Uh, I understand your discomfort at taking off your sweatshirt. So I've actually just lowered the temperature a little bit here. Okay. So, yeah, it was hot over here as well. Here's Tim Riley. Hawaii's trash is coming to the Northwest. Yes, Honolulu's main landfill will close in 2009, and uh, Hawaii's largest city is looking to send the trash up here. Northwest landfills have accepted garbage from as far away as Alaska, and Hawaii's trash would even take up more room. But it's welcome here. The trash would take roughly two weeks to cross the Pacific after being shipped up the Columbia River. It'll go to a landfill in the eastern Oregon city of Arlington, or possibly Roosevelt, Washington. I never know how this works, how one state is allowed just to ship their garbage to another state. And so this is coming, so it's from Hawaii to where? To here? Yeah. Well, this, but see, that's not like sending it to Montana or Wyoming, where there's just not, I mean, what, what else are you doing in Wyoming? There's no, I mean, What's in the eastern part of the state? Nothing, really. I guess, but that's I mean, trash there. that's a dumb question. Why can't Hawaii just take care of their own trash where they're like, do they just burn it or something? Or? Well, it's an island. They have very little room. Yeah, but I mean, but don't we get trash from other places as well? Probably. And doesn't New Jersey just, but doesn't New Jersey put all their trash in a boat and just kick it out to sea? Yeah. Do we get something for that? Are we? Does Hawaii pay us? I would imagine they they pay the landfills. All right, because it seems like that ought to go to the to, to like the state of Oregon. It seems like we ought to be uh, we ought to be compensated somehow. Oh, here's the other problem. Here's the other problem. Please tell me it has the word nuclear in it. No, it has the word Disney in it. Okay. The Hawaii landfill is running out of space, and it is near a beach where the Walt Disney Company plans to build a resort complex. Ah, I see. Uh, they're going to haul away uh, 100,000 tons of trash every year and bring it here to us in Oregon. From the town of Oak Ridge, Oregon, I have no idea what this is either. A teacher there has been placed on administrative leave after being accused of taping a child to a chair who just wouldn't sit down. Well, I guess it worked, didn't it? The nine-year-old boy's mother, Becky, did interviews with television. She said the teacher taped her son from his knees to his chest after he refused numerous requests to sit down. So I don't see what the problem is here. Uh, they say her son's poor behavior was not a strong enough reason to be humiliated in front of his peers. Oh, yes, it is. That's the way school works. <laughs> She's contacted a lawyer. On the advice of the Oregon Educational Association, the Oak Ridge teacher is not commenting until district officials have provided her with the results of their investigation. She didn't do anything wrong. Somebody, by the way, has sent me this article. This is from uh, Politico.com. And the, the headline is, Defeated but seemingly unbowed, the f- former first lady continues to, uh, to refuse to quit. And he notes that there's really too many big words just to describe the fact that she's a loon. I mean, they really are over-explaining this whole thing. Here's uh, Tim Riley. I guess so. So uh, we're almost ready to do uh, more Hillary news in a minute. But first, let me tell you about anger at a slutty Starbucks logo. A Starbucks is coming under fire for a new logo that critics say is offensive and overly uh, graphic. The resistance, a U.S.-based Christian group, is this a new one, has called for a national boycott of the coffee-selling giant. It said the chain's new logo has a naked woman on it with her legs spread out like a prostitute. The company might as well call themselves Slutbucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's slut bucks. That's, that's somebody, the best thing ever. Uh, that's somebody can who really I call just, you slut bucks? Yes, yes, you can. Let's start our own chain. That's somebody who just doesn't know how to write a press release. Oh, that's awesome. Slut bucks. Slut bucks. Uh, Starbucks says the image is based on a 16th century Norse design of a mermaid with two tails. Well, it's the original. It's the logo that they used to they, use, yes, like back in the day. Right? 
Yeah, well, and it's and it, and her bosoms are uncovered, which is the way the original Starbucks logo was. And I'm not gonna. It's not like I. Well, knew. a mermaid wouldn't be wearing a bra. How no. would a mermaid know? Every time you see a mermaid, she's topless. Even Daryl Hannah was topless. Or she's wearing shells. Or she's wearing shells. Uh, or turning into sand, making children everywhere cry. They're turning into sea foam. Is it sea foam? Is that what she oh, turns into man. in the Hans Christian Andersen story? Yes. Um, so, but and, and I'm not like I'm some expert on Starbucks, but if you read that book by Taylor Clark, Starbucked, he talks about the evolution of the logo. How if you look, in fact, if you go to, uh, to all right, so um, there it is. Yeah, that's the original logo. Does that doesn't look like legs. No, it doesn't. I mean, because it's like, uh, are they tails? What is it? It looks like tails. It's like a tail. Uh, How is that people can take time out of their day to take this this far? <laughs> I don't, well, I don't know. Bucks. I'm just going to put this picture and just write slut, slut box on my blog just because. Uh, but my question, though, is why is Starbucks suddenly going back to this logo after not having used it for years unless they just decided they needed publicity for some reason? They're probably Which, just trying to appear more organic. Uh, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it by, uh, what's his name, Howard Schultz, who's the chairman of, of, of Starbucks, because if you go to, the, if you go to, um, uh, to Pike Place Market in Seattle and you go to the... Uh, they call it the original Starbucks, but I don't think it is. I think it's the oldest existing Starbucks. This is the logo that they have, and this is the logo that they used for about five or six years. And then as they decided to become more mainstream, they went to this logo where she was covered and where it didn't look like she was spreading her legs like a common fish whore. What kind of legs does the person who wrote the press relief have? I don't know. And like I, they're, they're scaly? and I think if you're looking at this and you're seeing someone who's about to have sex with you, if that's the image you look at, I think that speaks more about your own personal state of mind than about the Starbucks logo. So in any event. Uh, so go buy Starbucks today, won't you? And thank them for putting uh, for putting this on their uh, on their coffee cups. So the one they use now is kind of a bulimic Starbucks woman. Yeah, because they because they went to that one that was sort of an abstract where it was just from like the chest up for a long time. And I guess over the last few weeks they've just started going back to this old one uh, for reasons that sort of pass understanding. Multnomah County is implementing a no passing zone along Northwest Cornelius Pass Road. From U.S. Highway 30 to the Washington County line, west of Northwest Skyline Boulevard, it is a devil yellow center line and no passing sign. The chain is in response to the death of a Scapoose High School student who was killed when her car hit an icy spot, slid down an embankment, and flipped over. Her parents have made it their mission to improve the safety of that roadway since her death. Well, I don't see what, what that does if the road was icy. No, I I don't either. And and back on the Starbucks thing for a second. Yeah. You know, somebody just emailed me and pointed something out. How is it that she can even mermaids don't even have legs? What is she spreading there? Miss just two tails. But that's not true. Maybe it's I, know, I put it I put it on my um, blog if you want to. Look. I think mermaids uh, is it on your uh, blog. Yes, sir. Um, so I don't think mermaids. I mean, I think they have a tail that is sort of bifurcated at the very end. Maybe there's a behind her. Maybe it's two mermaids. No, it's an optical tail. <laughs> it's, it's an Escher. It's an Escher mermaid. Uh, so I'm looking at it right <laughs> here. Those things just feel wobbly. All these religious people spent this exact amount of time <laughs> on this issue before we, deciding. You know, are we sure that it's a tail? I mean, those do look like scales, though. Well, I'm not familiar with a mermaid. Uh, this doesn't look like any mermaid I've ever seen. Did you say that this is based on something? That yes. this drawing is based on something else? It's uh, based on an ancient mermaid. So maybe maybe this is 16th century North Norse design. So maybe in the past mermaids were depicted as having yes, two I'm tails. Yes, another one, and it has two tails. Well, apparently 16th century uh, mermaids did have two tails. <laughs> it's a scientific fact. Yes. All right. Okay. So this is then a throwback to that. Seriously, 
I just echo Tim's previous comment about really, really. What else do you have? To, I mean, can't you join like a quilting league or something? Those people Let's talk about time. Slutty Mermaid. Oh, yeah, can't you go just be one of those women that goes and stitches somewhere in a room with your with your other empty-headed friends? I mean, come on. All right. Uh, and finally, this email says about Hawaii and garbage. Why is Hawaii sending their garbage anywhere? Don't they have volcanoes? That seems. This is a good point. So it seems like a cheap way to get rid of garbage. Just use your natural incinerator. That's a completely fair point. Uh, all right, here's uh, Tim Riley. Well, all right, so let's uh, talk more about uh, Barack Obama, who apparently won last night, although you wouldn't know it in some cir- circles. Uh, we have him speaking to reporters this morning in Washington, D.C. He sidestepped questions about whether he's disappointed that Hillary didn't uh, concede that she was defeated in the race, and here's what he had to say. I just spoke to her today, and you know, we're going to be having a conversation in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm very confident about uh, uh, how unified the Democratic Party is going to be to win in November. Did you see that thing this morning on Drudge that he tried to call her twice last night and he got her voicemail? Yeah. He kept trying to call her to do the, Hillary, I'm sorry, things didn't, hello, Hillary? And it was a whole lot of like, this is Hillary Clinton, please leave me. I'm celebrating my win. <laughs> Uh, he's asked about becoming the first minority presidential candidate. Obviously, it's an enormous honor. Uh, it's very humbling. Uh, he says both he and Clinton have set an example for future generations to follow. Their kids, seven, eight, nine years old, take for granted now that, of course, a black can run for president. Of course, a woman can run for president. There's, there's a, there's a matter of factness to it that I think bodes well for the future. All right, and we've got, do you have the sound of Jeffrey Tubin? Because I do. This is Jeffrey Tubin uh, last night on CNN talking about, because somebody on CNN made this statement about Hillary Clinton saying, because there's all this criticism that she wouldn't just come out and say, like, well, I've lost and bye. Uh, she just kept talking and talking and talking and at no point acknowledging that, you know, she got hosed. And somebody on CNN referred to, well, this is really her night, which I think struck Jeffrey Tubin, who's their uh, their legal analyst, uh, legal uh, analripist. Um, so this is um, this is Jeffrey Tubin talking about this last night. The Obama campaign announced right as the polls closed that 26 more superdelegates had signed on. The, the margin is now without dispute. We're not talking about one or two delegates here. He has won the nomination. So, you know, without the deranged narcissism of the Clintons, <laughs> I don't understand why this isn't... Why what do you this really isn't, think? Well, I mean, but what, what does that mean? It's her night. He just well, won. <laughs> Which is really... That's... I mean, not to put a too fight a point on it, but that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, yeah. it's, I think he sort of speaks for an entire nation there at the end when he... You can hear a sort of rising tone of, of incredulity there as he's trying to figure out what the hell was going on in her head. Well, here's what she had to say last night. She wasn't, wasn't going to make any final decisions last night. Oh, we'll play that in a minute. But first, apparently there was a funny moment between uh, Anderson Cooper and uh, Donna Brazil last night on <laughs> CNN. Let's see. So this is uh, buffering, of course, because it is CNN. Let's see what's happening here. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen right now. We'll get back to that later. Every time I try to pop up something from CNN, it doesn't work. So here's that comment from Hillary Clinton last night. This has been a long campaign, and I will be making no decisions tonight. Yeah! I've already been made. <laughs> you lost. It's over. It's not really up to you there, lady. Ugh. She's going to meet with party officials to determine her next move. Well, that's already been determined, has it not? Well, let's find out what she had to say about that. I am committed to uniting our party so we move forward stronger and more ready than ever to take back the White House this November. Uh Uh-huh. 
What is the future of your campaign, Hillary? In the coming days, I'll be consulting with supporters and party leaders to determine how to move forward with the best interests of our party and our country guiding my way. But you lost. <laughs> There's nothing left to decide. You lost. Uh, Jesus. The Obama campaign announced right as the polls closed that 26 more superdelegates had signed on. The, the margin is now without dispute. We're not talking about one or two delegates here. He has won the nomination. So, you know, without the deranged narcissism of the Clintons, I don't understand why this isn't. Why this really isn't. Think? Well, I mean, but what, what does that mean? It's her night. He just won. <laughs> Well, at least John McCain acknowledged that Obama will be his opponent. He will be a formidable one. But I'm ready for the challenge and determined to run this race in a way that does credit to our campaign and to the proud, decent, and patriotic people that I asked to lead. You know, I, I will say this. I will say this about the Democratic Party. That, uh, it, I mean, at, at this point... At this point, I, you know, they, they had better hope that Obama does win. I mean, he better win now that they picked him. Because if they, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we go into the fall and Obama loses to McCain? The sort of repercussions and, recrimin and recriminations from the, from the, from the, the Clinton supporters and from the Clintons themselves. I mean, can you, can you possibly imagine what the sound bites are going to be from the Clinton camp if Obama doesn't finally win? And I mean, I guess it is, it is bold moves that make history. Uh, so this is either, as I was just saying about something earlier, I was saying earlier about something else, that, I mean, this is either going to be, we're either going to view, it, view this as being incredibly sort of uh, ambitious and forward thinking, or it's just going to seem like a, a massive miscalculation if he, uh, if he doesn't win this fall. So it's all pretty crazy and nutty. Yeah. Yes, it is, Tim. Yes, it is. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, how's it going today? What's up? Hey, dude, you guys, uh, I won rush tickets on the show, and I went last weekend. Seats were phenomenal. Excellent. The concert was awesome. Cool. Greatest show ever. I'm spreading the word. And all right, late. All right. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Oh. All right. All right. In any yeah. event, uh, I forgot the Rush concert was last weekend. So yeah, we gave uh, uh, we gave away tickets to that. I've actually heard from a couple people who went to that. Here's Tim Riley. You know what our major concern is here in the Great Northwest? Mm. Not just these copper thieves, but people stealing grease. Nick Diamandis owns a restaurant in Arlington, Washington, and now he says he sells his used grease to the company that turns it into fuel. And because of that, well, it's not going to be long before people start stealing barrels of this stuff. Okay, wait a minute here. Let me try this again. My system isn't working. <laughs> One more time. Okay. We're not going to play this right now. Can you take a break, Tim? We should. My computer isn't doing anything today. And what a wonderful day for that. Not that. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll reset. Come back after this. More from Tim Riley coming up later on. Cena radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Dan from Powell's will do top five as well. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's the 
the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum from CNN Radio. We'll talk to our good friend uh, Dan from Powell's Books and Cedar Hills Crossing, uh, as well as Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com, uh, today's top five, and so forth. This is Tim Riley. So we just found out that Barack Obama has named a three-person team to help him find a running mate. And those on the team include Caroline Kennedy, of the famous Kennedys, as well as Deputy Attorney General Eric Holder and longtime Washington insider Jim Johnson. Were you noting um, earlier that uh, when Michelle Obama came out last night that she was dressed very much in the yeah. Jackie O style? Mm, she certainly was. Couldn't help notice that. I can't imagine that's by accident. Nope. So let's get back and uh, try some of these. Shall we try some more sound bites, Tim? Well, yeah, let's go back to the famous Grease story, shall Bef- we? Bef- before you try to play these... On the 1 to 10 scale, how confident are you that these sound bites will play correctly? Five. Okay. Because a lot of times things look good, but they surprise me by not working. <laughs> Visually, things are there. It's when I go to use them that I have I'm that problem with people, down. you know? All right. They I look like they're going to be competent and useful, and then they're not. All right. So not only are, are thieves here in the Northwest stealing copper wire, they're also stealing grease. Because apparently these restaurants can sell this grease to companies that turn it into uh, fuel. Uh, restaurant owner says uh, he's trying to do the best he can to stop it. I'm saving more money because I'm not paying, because I used to pay $20 a month to have a, a company dispose of it for me. And now I get paid even though I don't see the small check. I don't understand what he's saying. I have no, that sound, it makes no sense to me. Well, apparently thieves are stealing his used uh, fryer grease and selling it on the market. But he's still getting paid. Yeah. Uh, so he's putting up some closed-circuit cameras so he can catch these grease barrel things. Right. What, who am I going to do? And they said, well, just file a report because if we eventually catch them, then at least we have reports of it. So, But I but I haven't gone that far. So two, two things come to mind. A, where do you sell stolen grease? I don't know. I mean... I understand. Look, if I was going to go steal, like if I had a bunch of metal I didn't know what to do with it, you take that to the to the metal recycling plant, take it to a recycling plant. Where do you even take a truck? First of all, I'm not trying to give everybody uh, like lessons on how to be a criminal. I'm not. But if I asked you right now, Tim, how do you steal metal? I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, wouldn't you think? I suppose. I mean, I wouldn't be spending my time on it. No, you wouldn't, because you're an upright, you're an upright, productive citizen, Tim. Right. Uh, you're part of what's right it's with America. Like I'm looking between the legs of a mermaid in a picture, like some religious fanatics, <laughs> trying to get people to ban it. I get. Can I just go back to the mermaid thing for a second? Wait, hold on. It's one of those days where I'm going to lose track of my own thoughts if I don't get very careful. Hold on. Mermaid. Yeah, that's all right. Mer- mermaid, grease stealing. And then idea, profit. Okay, so um, a the sex with a mermaid thing. So how do they even know that the mermaid has a thing to have sex with? You know what I'm saying? Like the mermaid spreading her has a thing. You know what I'm saying? Did the mermaid thing? I mean, I mean, with mermaid. I don't even know. I don't even know if you should if if you should you call it. I mean, is there a mermaid vagina? Or we'll just stick with sex thing. But I mean, I don't really know how fish. Because it's like fish from the waist down, right? That's the thing with a mermaid. Well, uh, mermaid Human is, from the waist up. A mermaid is not a real object. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now you know within the, within the constructs of the mermaid universe, though. You won't find one Who the writes Oregon? the rules to the mermaid universe? But I'm saying, is it generally accepted that mermaids are fish from the waist down? Yes. Now, do do fish... I, uh, I, I'm not aware... Fish just lay eggs, research. though. Fish don't even have sex. Don't fish just lay eggs? Yes. So you couldn't have sex with a mermaid, like even if you wanted to. There's nothing there. I mean, I guess she could leave her eggs well, behind. Well, there has to be something for the eggs to come out of. 
Yeah, but that's uh, but I don't think that's a I think that's an exit only kind of a thing. Well, call the Oregon Aquarium. <laughs> we should completely you know Tim, if, them to look at their mermaids. If we were if we were a wacky uh, if we were um, if if we were a wacky uh, morning show Tim and uh, thank God that we're not. I'm not gonna... But if we were a wacky morning show, what we would do is we would call, uh, like, the Oregon Ichthyologist Association or whatever, and I would demand to know exactly how one had sex with a mermaid, if one could. Because if mermaids are human from the waist up and fish from the waist down, oh, I see. Yeah. it seems like you uh, as a, as a sort of... In other words, because the woman is all upset that her kids are going to be seduced by mermaid love, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think that really works if you're talking about the tra traditional kind of sex. Because I don't believe there's any, I don't believe mermaids have the appropriate parts for that. Is my point. So I think that her, her issue here, uh, whoever this woman is, uh, the issue that she has about the mermaid is misguided on at least a couple different levels. That's my point. All right. Okay. Moving forward. Sec. Second. Um. My second point here. Is this still about mermaids? No. The second point is about Greece. Mm -hmm. If I told you to go steal metal, you would probably know how to do it, even though you would choose not to. You get an Allen wrench. You get a, a torch. You know, like a, a one of those things, like a. a you know, one of those acetylene torches or whatever that cuts metal. You, you know, you, whatever. You get a hacksaw. You cut the metal up. You take it and you sell it. How do you even steal grease? It's in a barrel. The, the the barrel. You mean you steal it and put it in a barrel, or it's in a barrel to begin with? It's in a barrel to begin with. Are you sure about that? Yes. Restaurants put grease in barrels. Well, but uh, I'm pretty sure they have grease barrels. Mm -hmm. I think that's where they store the grease. Are they going up and just taking the grease that's already been barreled up? Yes. So they're not having to siphon it out of anywhere. No. Okay, so they grab that the barrel. Kind of well, that's but that would see. I was going to say that is that sort of that is sort of the weird dichotomy of the criminal mind with which we were always fascinated. The criminals, on the one hand, are pretty groundbreaking and innovative. I mean, you got to think about how to do that kind of stuff. I mean, look, you didn't think of stealing grease. Somebody had to come up with it. But on the other hand, it's less impressive if all they're having to do is just take a bucket and put it on the back of their truck. Thirdly, where does one take grease once it's been stolen? Oh, like a, a grease ranch or something like that? <laughs> a grease ranch. <laughs> I, I'm Chet. Welcome to my grease ranch. I don't think... Well, you know, some cowboy might I don't be think, running one in I, a barn. A cowboy might be running a grease ranch in a barn. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just putting words together and throwing them out to try to placate me. You are stringing together nonsense words, Tim. You... You are compiling phrases that don't make any sense. A cowboy running a grease ranch in his barn. Mm -hmm. I just don't even know where you would take it. Uh, so anyway, so my final point is, so A, yeah, mermaids, yes, grease stealing, okay. Here's the other thing. The key here is to get into the ground floor and to come up with something that you can steal that's valuable before everybody else starts doing it and then the field is too crowded. For example... I would imagine it's hard to find metal now that's just laying around or that is easily disassembled and stolen, right? So now they're taking it out of the bleachers where the kids are sitting. That, but see, but eventually even that's going to be – you can really see how they're, they're kind of at loose ends. I mean, they're really having to, they're really having to dig now to find places uh, you know, to steal metal from because the metal is vanishing, so now they're having to turn to grease. The key is to be – it's like being at the top of a pyramid scheme. The key is to be the guy who comes up with something new to steal. So I would say we're about topped out in terms of metal thieves. Clearly, Greece is the next big theft growth industry. Aha, people are turning their garages and basements into mini refineries for Greece. That's a lie. No one is doing that. I, find me one person who has turned his garage into a mini refinery. In Washington State alone, two new plants are being built. 
that'll produce a total of 160 million gallons a year by 2008. So this is already going on, but the production is still modest. Uh, the goal we have as an, as an industry is to achieve 1 billion gallons by 2015. Of course, it's always sometime in the future. Nothing that can be done now. So the kind of refinery that makes grease? And, yeah, apparently. In you don't really think States. of grease as being made somewhere. I mean, you sort of think of grease as a naturally existing product, don't you? Uh-huh. All right. Grease refineries. There's got to be something out there. Okay. Well, we'll keep looking. In the meantime, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. And there's so much hey. I don't understand about this world. Hi. Hey, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Well... The stolen grease subject here? Yeah. Every restaurant that's of fairly good size has a thing in the back that looks like a dumpster with a lid. That's where the used grease gets poured into. It's a big vat. Okay. And then so all these guys would have to do is come along and they would just have to steal this thing. Yeah, but there's there's like no, no, no spigots or anything in it. What they have to do is they have to take a little lid off the top of it. And they have to put some type of pump and a hose down into it and pump it into buckets. I knew it, you bastards. That's what I was saying. See, it's not as easy as coming and picking up a bucket. There's a fair amount of work involved in stealing grease. Really small stores like your AMPMs that have a deli that use a deep fat fryer. Yeah. They they do keep it in buckets, but it's usually somewhere like in the walk-in cooler or somewhere back in the cooler. So where would you even find like the appropriate pump and, and hose works to come and steal grease. It seems like you need a specially designed setup because otherwise it would clog, right? Uh, any, it, well, if you put it up at the bottom, it would where all the settlement, sediments are, yeah. Okay, so let's say you're some thief. You come along, you got your spigot, your pump, and your hoosets, and you, you pump all of the grease into a big bucket. Where do you then take the grease? Uh-huh, Seattle Biodiesel, one of the nation's largest commercial biodiesel refiners. They're the first company in the Pacific Northwest to own and operate a commercial-scale biodiesel refinery producing fuel that meets or exceeds specifications. So they'll take your grease there. Now, is that true? Will they? Do they buy grease? Yeah, they do. No, they, they don't buy grease from anybody. Where to buy? Okay. No, it's not... But with, uh, I think it's, if you go on the Internet, you can get the homemade plans to make your own biodiesel. Doesn't it seem like you could just get a job with it? I mean, mean, as opposed to putting all this, this seems like a lot of work. Just go get yourself a gig somewhere. Yeah, and, you know, down on uh, Swan Island at the the old shipyards, uh, where the Coast Guard used to be on there, they're putting in a biodiesel plant there. All right. And the only thing they're doing is they're taking the the rendering trucks are the one that come and used to get the grease for free because they needed it in the rendering plant. It just seems like so much work. It seems like criminals. It, it seems like criminals really have a, a, a wholly disproportionate sense of of like effort versus payoff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah well, just wait till they start stealing all the freeway signs because those are made out of metal. <laughs> uh, all right. It's a good time to be alive. Thank you, sir. Yeah. You bet. All right. There you go. There's that guy. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I wonder if this is mermaids or grease. Hi, Rick Emerson. Are you calling about mermaids or grease? Grease. Okay. It sounds like you're talking about movies, too. And they does, grease. actually. Hello, <laughs> hi. Olivia Newton-John, Xanadu. You take the grease to Xanadu. Okay. That's a great reference. Can I tell you this, by the way? You are the you are the third person within the space of two days to make a Xanadu reference to me. Um, Excellent. Chris Paddock, the program director of KUFO, and Michael Fashana, who is the general sales manager, both made Xanadu references to me on well, Monday you, and Tuesday. You can't beat Olivia Newton-John and those black pants. No, and roller skating through an animated sequence Absolutely. featuring dolphins, I believe. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Uh, okay, there you go. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. You call about mermaids or grease? 
I don't know, man. It's a crazy hour. It really is. There's something very, very wrong with all of us today. <laughs> As contrast to all the other days. What is uh, what is your observation today, sir? Uh, my observation is, um, Sarah Dillon? Yes, sir. Uh, is this going to be about Sarah's lack of a brassiere? Well, that and also the sparkle on her face. Uh-huh. And uh, I heard... Have you taken steps beforehand to make sure this call isn't creepy? No. All right. Did I have? Go on ahead. No, I, well, just apropos of nothing, um, I just wanted to say that Big Jim does a uh, spot for Jiggles that says that Tuesday night is amateur night over at uh, at Jiggles. So Let's tread yeah. carefully through these next few moments, sir. They are mm -hmm. a fine sponsor of our show, of course. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I was just... Are you suggesting a way for Sarah Dillon to earn some extra income? Or perhaps I think he's saying that... Wait, was it yesterday, Tuesday? I think yesterday was Tuesday. Okay. You'd have to wait until next Tuesday, then. Okay. Was your suggestion that Sarah Dillon go and... Or that I had, in fact, already auditioned for $200. <laughs> <laughs> was that what you were implying? Is that she came here fresh from her no-doubt winning gig at Jiggles? Oh, no, that's what you inferred. I, I, was, <laughs> I, right. I didn't say that. Let's wrap it up now, sir. All right. All right. Oh, uh, Rick? Yeah? One more thing. I saw damn that coming. Damn it, you, damn it. you had to have seen I that did. one. All right. Fair enough. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, by the way, that children's parade is about to get underway. Okay. On Sandy Boulevard. Uh, speaking of strippers, here's one that the ladies will enjoy. Strippers with nothing to wear had to cancel shows. An Australian male strip review called The Thunder from Down Under had to cancel parts of its U.S. tour because they had nothing to wear after their van was stolen. You see, they were in Maryland when the van went missing. It contained thousands of dollars of equipment, costumes, and merchandise. And, uh, well, they're trying to get it back. They're shocked, said the manager. Uh, maybe one of the ladies uh, just wanted a thong, but they got carried away. A representative of the group said the missing items had been reported to police. It's kind of humorous, she said. They were costumes equivalent to merchandise that they usually sell on tour. And she was wondering why anyone would want to steal some tear-away pants. The dancers had to cancel a Saturday night performance in Rhode Island. Well, Oklahoma can now lay claim to the fact that it is the birthplace of the shopping cart, dating back to 1939. And the big anniversary celebration is now underway. From grocery stores to other mass merchandising, Bob Weiss, who owns Carts and Parts in Oklahoma City, says the self-service grocery cart was actually invented by a customer who didn't want to wait for the clerk to show up and get her shopping list. Uh, the story goes is that uh, the clerk was busy and then there was a particular shopper didn't want to wait, so uh, she took the uh, folding cart, unfolded it, put a basket on and did the shopping herself, came up to the counter, uh, put everything on the counter to check out, and that's how the self-serve shopping cart was actually invented. How was the first shopping cart used, Bob? The shopping cart <laughs> folded up like a you know, folding chair, and the, uh, the clerk would unfold one of the carts, put a basket on it, and walk around and pick all the items up, bring it back to the counter, and the uh, clerk would check it out, and the shopper would leave. Who is this man? Bob. Who is this man that is talking about the history of the shopping cart? Well, he owns carts and parts in Oklahoma City, the birthplace of the shopping cart. Let's show some respect for Oklahoma City. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to trod on their, uh, on their pride. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, here's two things about the shopping cart I can say. Um, one is, well, there's actually three different things. I would say that there are three great inventions in the history of the shopping cart. One 
is that little thing they have at the front where the door folds inward that allows the shopping carts to sort of be horizontally stacked. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, when you push a shopping cart in and you push a shopping cart up against the rack and it goes inside the shopping cart in front of it because that back door swings in. Somebody had to come up with that. Also, there's a little way that they've constructed the top so that a kid can actually sit in there facing their mother with their legs coming out the front and then be belted in so they're not sort of either crawling around. You're like inventions today. You well, want to invent something, don't you? I do. Well, you know, because those are things that we all take for granted. I mean, not to be all like Jerry Seinfeld about it, but I mean, it's a lot observations, things you don't really think about. Also, the third thing is, I would say the last great innovation in the world of shopping carts was that thing they do at a lot of stores now where if you get it outside the parking lot, that one wheel just locks up, which is a, supposedly like a, it's, I guess it's ideally a deterrent to keep homeless people from walking off with the carts, which doesn't work because all, all the homeless people do is they just, instead of wheeling a shopping cart down the street, if you're in my neighborhood, they will just steal the shopping carts from the Safeway anyway, and then they will just push it down the street, and the whole time it's making this noise because the wheel won't turn and so they're just basically dragging it down the street because the will of a homeless person cannot be underestimated so i have a couple of those buddies that go by my house every day yeah my, my least favorite ones are the shopping carts with a plastic car that the kid sits in in front yeah it says future shopper and it's as big as a buick it takes up an entire <laughs> i don't know of course they bang everyone in the knees as they're going down the and aisle. anyone who puts their child in that is just like blocking the entire aisle is completely oblivious that anybody else wants to get by and they're See, full of diseases from previous children who are sitting there <laughs> It's like a disease parade. Uh, when I see those things, I just get jealous, though. Not unlike when Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons had that bed that looked like a race car. And I just sat and was filled with bitter envy about it. Um, let's see here. We got... Um, I don't even know what these calls are about. If some, uh, what call should we? What line should we answer? Three. Three. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Are you calling about Grease Mermaids or other? Uh, Grease. All right. All right, hey, you just had a comment a little while ago, like how come these people don't get jobs that they, you know, it seems like there's an easier way to get money it for your It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, but the thing you got to remember, I just wanted to bring bring you back to the, the idea that these are tweakers. You know, nobody in their right mind is going to give one of these people a job. Well, so it's much easier to go around stealing grease, even if it takes all day long, than it is to. I guess it just doesn't it seem to you like it's it, like it's a whole lot of re, a whole lot of uh, work for a very little return. I mean, th- I mean, th- in a way, you almost have to admire the single-mindedness of it because if you told me to mar- like if you came and put a gun to my head and said you need to steal me some grease and then go sell it, I wouldn't know how to steal it. I wouldn't know how to sell it. So I guess this sort of ties into what somebody said uh, a couple days ago about these the meth guys who go and they disassemble metal objects. They're really they're the ones we need to hire to be cleaning up the sides of the roads and things because clearly there's nobody who can get a job done like a guy who really needs some methamphetamine. Well, it's like the homeless people, you know, recycling cans. I wouldn't go around all day just to make you know five dollars in cans or no. whatever it takes. But no, this but is I... my opinion, not you guys. But I think we should round up all the tweakers and uh, you know. Have a little uh, tweaker apocalypse. That's just my opinion. <laughs> tweaker apocalypse. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Best show ever. Bye. All right. It's all worth it Best, just for that's that the phrase. next event on the waterfront after the uh, Rose Festival. Tim Riley's Tweaker Apocalypse. Here's Tim Riley. Sunday. He reads the news. He kicks the ass. Well, the shopping cart hasn't changed very much and probably won't for a long time. And so while we have changed sizes and dimensions and brought productivity... Filbert and, nuts, uh, pine nuts, the fold so walnut nuts. ...to get through the check stand faster, so more information, it's still a basket on four wheels. Are you kidding me? No. Okay, fine, fine. 
How many more of these are there? Please say hundreds. <laughs> are there? I mean, are there <laughs> dozens and more? Dozens well, of shopping carts. Hillary Clinton and shopping cart news. Um, that's a fair point. All right, here's Tim Riley. I think I need some coffee. What station is this anyway? KCMD Portland. That's what I thought. We're all in sync right now. That was weird. Wow, that was a strange Vulcan because mind was, building going on. I was there. mouthing that to him right as you said that, Tim. Way to spot the illegal ID window, Tim. Well done. Women have a lot of trouble sleeping, more so than men. Sixty million more women than men have a hard time sleeping, according to the director of sleep disorders, Dr. Gary Zamet. Uh, Zavitt says uh, women with insomnia are more prone to accidents and injuries due to their sleeplessness. They're also at greater risk for cognitive impairments, such as impairments in attention, memory, concentration, and ability to stay on task. This would account for all that not knowing their place business, too. Uh, people with insomnia suffer from depression and anxiety. People who have insomnia are also at greater risk for psychiatric illness, such as depression or anxiety. All right. I missed the uh, damn it, damn it joke early there, so just mentally insert that. Setting passenger airfares the same way that air freight charges are calculated by weight may not be as far-fetched as the airline industry uh, grapples with the surging fuel costs. Former FAA spokesman Scott Brunner said there's no way passengers, especially women, will agree to step on the scale before boarding. Oh, can you imagine? You, when you buy your ticket, go, okay, please step on this scale right now, and then we'll figure out what we're going to charge. No. <laughs> I think it would be hard to do, but it just shows you to the extreme measures they're thinking. I mean, everything is on the table when they're trying to cut costs. Okay. But back on that story, did he say exactly why it's women that can't sleep as opposed to men? No. All right. Well, whatever. Uh, so can you... Uh, Boy, can you imagine, can you imagine uh, if you, you had to be weighed when you got on an airplane? I mean, if you, especially for I'm women. Okay I mean, no, I'm fine with I it, too. Be, I wouldn't mind it, but I could see if, like, but, someone but kind you're of... But you're not a typical woman. And you're, like, trying to lose weight, and yeah. you're, like, really proud of your weight, and then they're like, nope. Well, they'd probably take you behind a curtain or something. I mean, they would probably, you wouldn't do it in public. I would imagine that there'd be some sort of a thing. I would imagine that you would step on a scale. And, I mean, it really does seem like the only fair way to do it, because, I mean, fat people cost more to fly, Right. I mean, by the time they get to a certain point in the day, wouldn't there be howls of laughter with, <laughs> with everyone? They, by the time they get to their fifth or sixth hour, I, I suppose. I mean, you know, I. But it does seem. I mean, it, it, look, if they're going to charge you, I mean, I'm treading into dangerous ground here. But if they're going to charge you per bag, under the theory that the more baggage you'll forgive the pun you're bringing on, the more it's costing the plane to fly. Well, look, I mean, you know, there's somebody who weighs 150 pounds and somebody who weighs 300 pounds. That's a 150-pound difference. That's like four bags. Yeah. I mean, really. So if they're going to charge you more to bring crap onto the plane because it's going to cost so you maybe they, more fuel. They should try to stuff people into that triangular box. <laughs> you, must, you, <laughs> you must be able to fit within. You must be able to fit within this vaguely human-shaped framework. They could have like sensors on the side to see how much pressure you're putting on the side. I mean, it does seem like the only. Trying to stuff people in with plungers and their eyeballs popping out of the socket. <laughs> you get some of those guys from the Japanese subcar subway cars just jamming you in with a big plastic spoon. <laughs> Uh, see, you know what all this does is it just reminds me that I have to goddamn fly next week. I get to start dreading that. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, because I'm going to California. Because that means we have to listen to some blood rock. Yes, yeah. yes, you do. So, um, anyway, so I, you know, I get the, and I forget what airline I'm flying, but I guess, but they're all going to start doing stuff like this, right? Where they're going to start charging you per bag and per carry on, yeah. and if you've got like a third butt cheek or whatever. So, you know, in any event, well, I mean, it is, I, I don't really have any grounds on which to complain about that. Well, let's go to the streets of New York City, shall we? Where Mike, the fruit stand operator, said he's happy that Obama has the nomination. I'm happy for him, but uh, I hope it go he goes all the way. We'll see. 
Time will tell. He is just learned that Obama should choose uh, Clinton as a running mate. I think she's going to wait for the vice presidency, take one to go for that. You know, I think that's her next step, about her only choice. This email, by the way, says, yes, Rick, mermaids have the, quote, necessary parts. <laughs> they have breasts, therefore they are mammals. Just like dolphins and whales, mermaids give birth to live... How would you know this? Mermaids give birth to live offspring and nurse their young. So you, Rick Emerson, can have relations with a mermaid. Maybe have fun. I have a song about mermaids that we can play into the break. Really? Is it about someone having relations with them? No. All right. Here's Tim. Uh, putting Hillary on the Democratic ticket with Barack Obama would be the worst mistake that he could make. That's the opinion of former President Jimmy Carter. Because of Bill Clinton's elements of unpopularity, uh, I have been against Hillary. It shows up in all the public opinion polls. I think her negatives are about 50%. He's getting harder to understand. <laughs> he said there are people who are against both of these candidates. If you take that 50% who just don't want to vote for Clinton and add it to whatever element they might be that don't think Obama is white enough or old enough or experienced enough or because he's got a, a middle name that sounds Arab, you could have the worst of both worlds. But as time goes on, Jimmy Carter sounds more and more like one of those guys that you used to see in like old 1940s films talking about the war of northern aggression. I mean, it's yeah. sort of expecting to be. Uh... All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what are we doing? Um, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. You just filled some time here, sir. I'm going to get some coffee. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Well, I was... Okay. Um, you mentioned in the past trying to find some sort of sounder for when your recap hour runs a little long into the 11 o'clock hour and wanting to find something for when you guys interrupt. Well, because, like, today, uh, today is actually not the best. I mean, yesterday, uh, you know, because the recap hour theoretically goes from 10 until 11, and, but there are times, depending on how many commercials there are and the stop sets, or just depending on, you know, sometimes when Richie, because Richie's the one who puts it together, one of the many things he does flawlessly every day, uh, but as he is sort of putting together the recap hour, sometimes there's a segment that just doesn't have a natural edit point, like a top right. five where you kind of have to let it go all the way, so it runs late and occasionally... You know, we'll let it go to like two or three minutes after, you know, or like 11.05, 11.06 or whatever. But sometimes, you know, it's like 11.05 and the recap hour still got 10 minutes left. And we're trying to find some sort of segueing a transitional noise to take us from the recap hour into the regular show. Yes. Right. And a few minutes ago, you vocalized the sound that the shopping carts make when the homeless drag them in front of your house. It sounded like the emergency broadcast system going off. Was that my... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would work and get everyone's attention pretty well. <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of noise that get everybody's attention, um, did anybody else hear that thing downtown today that sounded like an air raid siren? No. What time was that? I walked over to the Plaid Pantry around 1030 today, and I swear to God, I mean, I'm not saying it was an air raid siren, but there was some uh, sound emanating from down by the coin tower that sounded for all the world like an air raid siren. It was like full on, it was like when the mist took John Lee kind of a thing. I mean, I left the station. I would have freaked out. Dude, I mean, I don't know what it was, but I walked to the plaid, and in the back I just heard this, uh, uh, uh. and I'm like, damn, man, that's weird. Maybe all right, I, to do with the boats coming in. Need to get me a sandwich. And so then I walked into the plaid, maybe, I hadn't thought about that. And I go into the, I'm in the plaid pantry for five, six, seven, eight minutes. I leave the plaid pantry. I'm walking back to the station. Sure enough, as soon as I step out of the plaid pantry and start heading back over here, it's in the air again. So there's some, it might be a ship, but damn, man, did it sound like an air raid siren. It was kind of freaky. I don't know if anybody else heard that. But it was damn weird. I haven't heard one of those in years. You know what else we could always use? It's just uh, right there. All right. Thank you for the suggestion, my friend. No problem. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. Here's Tim Riley. I hope Miss Desjardins is seeking shelter at this moment. 
Because a tornado warning has been posted for Washington, oh, D.C. You know what that means, Tim. Vomit and members, lots of it. Members of Congress receiving special emails advising them to stay indoors and move away from windows. The unstable weather has caused intermittent power outages, down power lines, and falling trees. It's expected to play havoc with afternoon drive traffic. Well, all right. So if I'm trying to get to the airport today at 3.30, so am I – So, well, I mean, we might as well just say it. People yeah. on the, the Ross Island Bridge, though, you're saying is the best way. And then I, would, I would say so because it doesn't go up. All the way up to like 90th or 102nd or whatever and then loop over onto, onto the 205. Yeah, because 3 o'clock I think would probably be the best, and that's far away from the 10,000 children. Because that's the other thing. There's several things going on, right? There's the there's the boats coming in, so the bridges are going to be up. There's 10,000 kids marching somewhere. Uh, and then there's just normal rush hour traffic, which inexplicably, I mean, we sort of have unconventional jobs in, in, in the sense that, like, at least for Tim and Sarah, you guys, you know, sort of bail, you know, right around 3 o'clock. You can sort of take right off. Mm-hmm. But if you notice, that even then... Well, around, traffic starts the right news. at Well, that's, no, Tim leaves for his afternoon repast and then comes back to do the news, is what I meant to say. Uh but, in the, but even in the afternoon, like 3.30, 3.45, it seems like rush hour traffic has already begun sometimes. Mm-hmm. I really have no idea when rush hour even is anymore. It seems like it's sort of an all-day kind of affair. You uh, know, a lot of companies are going to have to start to have four-day weeks now due to the gas situation. Yeah. Well, I would think that telecommuting, as they say, working from home, uh, that is going to be the way of the future. It's going to have to be. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, we should put But I'm just coming in here, though. Yeah. yeah I suppose. I, you know, it's like when I... Mm-hmm. When I did the uh, when I did the, uh, the the syndicated thing and I was downtown and I wasn't at a radio station I was in a standalone studio. Were you in a box? Yeah, I was basically. I mean, I was in I was in a a room about the size of the room that we were in at the Coin Tower. I mean, a real small you know kind of one person studio, uh, and it wasn't at a radio station. It was just a standalone vocal booth in an office building. I mean, it was not. And and for a while I thought I was going to like that. Uh, I sort of said it's great. It's like being on the radio and having to deal with radio people. It's wonderful. But then you realize that. The, the people with whom you work in radio, and I'm not talking about like you guys, but I mean, you know, just just everybody at a radio building, that they're just a bunch of freaks and goons and misfits. But then you realize I that they're going to be gone within six months anyway. But, but and you also realize that they're a special kind of misfit, they are, and that we're, you we're, yourself are. They're our same kind of people, right? And then you realize that you really are exactly the same kind of freak and misfit, and so that you you sort of miss. Them. I love seeing Lacey. It's just like a big. It's like a. I like Lacey with their multicolored clogs and Bozik wandering around, you yeah. know, singing music, and it's just, it's cool. And I think I had thought that I that I was going to enjoy sort of working by myself without being in a radio. Station. And you know what? It, because that was the first time I'd done that, and I really did miss it almost instantly. So I never again took it for granted. So as much as they sort of talk about how you can work from home, or you know, like we always talk about Art Bell does his show from his basement or whatever. Uh, and I think Rush does the same thing. I know Rush sort of postures that he's in New York, but Rush hasn't been in New York City for ten years probably, and he's in Florida. So he just sits. You know, it's easier to get drugs down there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so. Anywho, so as much as we sort of joke about being able to do the show from home, which actually Dennis Miller does, you know, we've talked about he does the show from his kitchen in Santa Barbara in his bathrobe, uh, which is fine for for some folks. But I just I don't think I could do it. I think that I would, having left the radio building once and done it in a in a studio that was just in an office building, I think I would really really miss being in an actual radio station. So I did those podcasts from home for the ten months that we were off the air. It's just it's a weird vibe, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, and that's why you know the people have. People have asked me from time to time. They say, "Well, you know, radio is a changing business. Terrestrial radio is, you know, it seems like there's so much attention being paid to satellite radio and podcasting and whatever." And, and people sort of said, "Well, have you thought about just maybe just being a podcaster or whatever?" And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to diminish that. I mean, there's people who do it. There's people who do it really well. 
but I think it's just a different, as they say, skill set. I think yeah. having done live radio for the, Jesus, for 20, well, I mean, I mean, except for the periods where I was fired for more than 20 years now, podcasting is just a different skill. I mean, especially if you're not doing it live. If you're doing like a live show on the Internet that's somehow streaming or something real time, I guess that's one thing because we do that. But like recording a podcast, it's just because I've sat in. I sat in with you one time to do it. I yeah. sat in, I think, with Scott and Aaron one time to do it. And it's just well, my a, office is where Scott and Aaron show began. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. And I just wasn't able to do it. I just wasn't. I don't think I was very good at it. Uh, I'm not good at doing things that are pre-recorded. I'm really much better live. Uh, so I, I just don't think that I, I don't even think it's a thing that I, that I've made a conscious choice about. I just don't think I could do anything else. Uh, I think doing a recorded type of show just wouldn't work for me. Anyway, that was a big deviation for no reason. Here's Tim Riley. We can go back and talk about shopping carts again. Can we please? Yeah. Mermaids? <laughs> shopping carts and mermaids. Well, let's talk about, uh, breast reduction, shall we, with the Geek Watch? Oh, here's your, here's your Geek Watch. <laughs> High-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Queen Surgeon Limit, I remember you used just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> yeah. Right, but we were wondering if the quantum flux... And I just listen on there. there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Better does. Along with its solid gameplay and excellent graphics, Age of Conan has been hailed by adolescent gamers worldwide for its female character's gravity-defying bosoms, a trait that developer Funcom seems to have inadvertently removed. Players to the online... The Porg. M-M-O-R-P... The what? The Porg. The Porg. <laughs> M-M-O-R-P-G have noticed, oh. and in many cases complained... That the breasts of female characters are recently reduced in size. Players to the what, Tim? Maporg. <laughs> um, I do believe that that stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game, uh, which is what the World of Warcraft is. Do you play is. that? I don't. I, don't, I actually don't play. Um, I mean, I play online sometimes. What do you play at the, the movie, Xbox. Doctor? Uh, Halo. Okay. Um, it's sort of, it, but it's, but it's not really a role. Like World of Warcraft, it's, it's basically it's like un, uh, online Dungeons and Dragons, and it's, it is a massively multi, meaning like thousands and thousands of people can play at once. It's an online role playing game where you have thousands of people, and I'm just not into role playing games, but that's, that's what that stands for. How is it, it that you have time to do that? You know, and put together a show every day and do all the other things that you allegedly do. Are you talking to me? Yes. <laughs> I don't play Age of Conan. I mean, play anything. I really, I don't, I actually don't have a lot of time. It's sort of, you know, I was talking to somebody uh, at the Crystal Skull screening. There was a listener there who had just become unemployed. He had lost his job. And I said, I said, oh, you know, you know, it's the standard pep talk. I say, pep talk. But I mean, it's sort of a speech that I give to people who have recently become unemployed because it's a real traumatic incident when you lose your job. And what I told him is, it's what I tell everybody. And, and it's it's hard advice to take. I mean, even even I think we had difficulty taking his advice. I always said, when you lose your job, even though you're going to feel, you know, real down about it and you'll feel depressed and a little freaked out, in a way, you've got to try to savor to, to some degree the, the time you have between jobs. Uh, you, you know, so, you know, getting a job should be, as they say, your new job. That's always the cliche from nine to five every day you're looking for a new job. But you know what? The rest of the time you should savor the fact that you don't necessarily have to get up early if you don't want to. You don't have to go to bed at a certain time if you don't want to. You have some free. If you want to go to a movie at the middle of the day, you you can do that occasionally. I mean, it's because as soon as you get the next job, like as soon as they get like it's a Thursday and the guy always says to you, 
Well, uh, all right. Well, that looks great. And I'll tell you what, we'll just have you have it tomorrow morning. Could you? I mean, could you be here tomorrow, 8 a.m.? Yeah, tomorrow morning. And then you're going to go home and you're going to be I got a job. And then you're going to be like, crap, uh, you know. And it will sort of immediately set in this regret that you didn't take advantage of your unemployment. But I do realize that that's the sort of miserable irony of it is you can't take advantage of your unemployment really because you feel guilty doing so. So that leads to your question about how is it that I have time to play video games. Yes. I really don't have as much time to play video games as as I would like, just because you know, just doing a bunch of you know, you know, working and you know, married and I got a poodle and you know, books to read and things to do and whatever. But by the same token, when I was unemployed, which is really when I should have been playing Xbox like all day, I didn't because then if you're unemployed and playing your Xbox, then you just feel like a loser. I mean, you just feel like one of those guys in an Ashton Kutcher film who's 27 years old, sitting on the sofa in a ripped T-shirt, loading up a bong, playing Xbox, and like, you know, putting up Claudia Schiffer posters or something. I mean, it's just you feel like like that guy. And so when I was unemployed, I didn't, even though I could have. And now that I have a job, of course, I can't very much. That being said, I know a lot of people who play video games a lot. I mean, which is fine. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I think that's one of the reasons I don't is because those games take so much of your life and your time, especially an online role-playing game like that. Uh, I mean, we've all kind of heard the stories about people, people we know play World of Warcraft who just spend hours and hours and hours doing it, uh, which is, you know, whatever, to each his own. It's just not my thing. Um, that being said, Tim... The reason I initially found out what massively multiplayer online role-playing game, what that was, because I'd gone, when I was setting up my um, my home network years ago, I went out to Fry's, and I was buying a router, um, and so I'm there, and I was I was, I was buying the, the Ethernet cable or something, and Fry's, and I was talking to the guy, and I, this first time I tried to set up a broadband home network, and the guy at Fry's is so great, he's the source of my geek voice. When I do the, <laughs> it's that guy. That voice is based on a real guy that I met working at Fry's Electronics in Wilsonville, the home of all good things. And I said, hey, pardon me, sir, can you tell me where the Ethernet cable is? And he said, uh, Ethernet cable, okay, what are you doing? I said, I'm making a home network. Okay, you're going to need a router, too. Let me show you where that is. And I said, okay. And he said, sure, if you don't mind me asking, what are you going to be doing with your home network? <laughs> this is how he talked. Tim's, Tim's laughing, but it's how the guy sounded. Now you can see the, the guy with the teeth growing inside. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, be spectacled and fat and greasy and, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm no, I'm no one to throw stones inside my big glass house. But... Um, he said, sir, if I can ask, exactly what are you going to be using your home network for? Oh, that's awesome. And I said, uh, well, I'm going to hook my TiVo up to it. And then I said, uh, and I just, this is back when I Did first... Did he talk kind of like uh, Stan's older sister? Totally, yeah. Uh, and I and I, I said, well, I just got an Xbox. And so I'm going to, he goes, an Xbox? What are you going to be playing? And I said, well, I'm probably, uh, probably Halo 2, which I think had just come out at that time. And he actually said, he goes, he said... We shut up playing Age of Empires, I think, which is the name of the game you mentioned. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, like he was all concerned that I might be missing out on a really great video game experience. I'm not. I don't mean to be sound like a jerk. He really clearly was trying to share something with me that he thought would enrich my life. And I said, I said, I don't know what's Age of Empires, sir. And he said, without missing a beat, he said, it's a massively multiplayer online role playing game. And I said, and I'd never heard the term before. And I said, what? And he said, it's a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And I said, okay, duly noted. And that was it. And so that phrase has always stuck with me since then. Um, anyway, that being said, if I can just go go back to video games for one second inside this Geek Watch, what yeah. better place to do it? Um, 
so I was playing Lego Indiana Jones last night, and uh, which I found uh, at a, a local uh, video rental store after a long, long search. And so I took it home, I was playing it, and, this is, and I did sort of have the realization last night. I'd played it for a couple hours, and I kind of thought, you know, this is way too hard. It's just way too, as Sarah pointed out, it not only have video games themselves gotten more and more complex. And I don't mean to sound like an old person, but if you've seen that Xbox 360, excuse me, Xbox 360 controller, there are... Two thumbsticks, a keypad, you know, like a thumbpad. I wouldn't pad, know what to do with that thing. Four buttons and four triggers. Plus your start and your pause. I mean, that's, it's like 12 buttons and like three little directional pads. And it's just it's so good. It, I mean, it's confusing. And plus the game itself is just full of like weird labyrinths and puzzles and whatever. And I was just, you know, but I, there was in some room, I ended up calling Mailman Chris last night, actually, because I couldn't find my way out of a room. So I, I called Mailman Chris last night and he goes, hey, Rick. And I go, Hey, hey, how do, how do I find my way out of this room that's blocked by the shiny silver Lego blocks or whatever? And he kind of talked me through it. But my wife had a suggestion as I'm playing Lego Indiana Jones last night as a grown, as a 35-year-old man. And uh, calling other people for tips. Calling other play. people. Well, that would, but, but, you know, my wife's suggestion wasn't to call Mailman Chris. My wife's suggestion was, well, honey, why don't you just go online, you know, play multiplayer online. You know, there'll be some 10-year-old that can help you walk you through this. And I said, do you really, I would just have to kill myself. Are you kidding? I mean, this is going online, going online for the sole purpose of finding like a nine-year-old to walk me through a children's video game. I mean, there's just no coming back from that ever as a, as a person, as a human. So, in any event, um, my wife did have the greatest, we'll wrap this up. My wife did have the greatest moment the other day, though. Um, where I was, I was sitting in our home office, uh, and I was just typing away or whatever. And it was the day, I think it was the week that I picked up that new Wednesday 13 CD, and which is perhaps targeted the younger set, and uh, strong enough for a man, but Beavis likes it too or whatever. There's a bit, it was you know, but it's made for kids. But I'm, you know, I'm there and I've got it turned up really loud and whatever. And so I'm sitting in my office typing away with this like punk album blaring in the background and my wife walked in and there I am just like sitting in a black t-shirt with like this loud rock music playing and I think as she came in I turned and I sort of like I was trying to like rock out and I kind of like made the devil horns at her and just without without even just like in the flattest delivery you can imagine and the song is like something about like the song is some like you know I'm gonna eat your brains it's like some zombie rock song or whatever and I'm doing the devil horns to this like zombie punk song playing in the background and my wife just looks at me and she goes you know, you're 35. <laughs> and I, I kind of went, oh, I'm sorry. And I just sort of turned it down and went back to typing. <laughs> so there you go. So um, I haven't proved your story yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massively multiplayer. I'm on a roll. Okay. All right. So uh, go ahead and finish the story about Age of Conan, Tim. Well, offering players apologies and a brief technical explanation of the issue, <laughs> one com has stated that the changes to female characters' breasts an unintentional side effect of the latest game patch, and it'll be rectified shortly. One com can confirm that some of the female models of the game had the size of their breasts change. This is due to an unintended change in data that was introduced in an earlier patch data that controls the so-called morph values associated with character models and the size of respective body parts. Funcom representatives wrote in a recent post forum, We are working on a fix for this, and your breasts should be back to normal soon. So basically, the upshot of this is, and the original story, the Wired article about this wouldn't print for some reason. Do you ever find, let me ask you this, do you ever find news stories that just won't print, flat out won't, because you go to print them and you'll get like the masthead or the, the title mm -hmm. and then the rest of it is just blank? You know what happened to me last night with my printer? No, Tim. I thought I cheat the system in printing just black and white. 
And instead of buying all the color cartridges, I would go to an office supply store and just buy the black one. Right. And change the setting to black ink only. My printer would not allow that. Is that true? After I drove all the way, wasted all the, just to buy the black cartridge. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And I, I only had one, one little tiny letter to write to somebody. I wasted like an hour, put everything in color directions explicitly. It would not allow me to print just in black. It demanded I go out back and buy the other color cartridges before we proceed with printing this little tiny letter with four sentences. It just gave you it gave you just a, a, an absolute unimpeachable directive to printing color. Yes. You must purchase color ink. And it was... A black and white letter. Like this. <laughs> a letter. It did not require color. It required black ink. It is not allowed. No. No. I, boy, you know, the, the printers are really, that's a racket. The the, the the whole printer. I remember the last time my print, and I have a really nice printer at home, but it, my printer, and it's just, and it's always like a tiny little glitch in the printer that you think ought to be easy to fix, but because they know you can't fix it yourself, they charge you $85. Yeah. My printer, I have a laser printer at home. It's really, really nice. Uh, in fact, I think it's 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 a variation of the printer we have here. So it's you know because I figured because I did what that's a good printer and it's I really did reliable. and I and I paid a lot of money for it because I did the thing of buying cheap printers for a while and it's like and they just suck they're terrible they they're slow they break and so I finally just said you know like like screw it I'm just gonna uh, you know I'm just gonna buy a good printer so I threw in a lot of money for a good laser printer. And then I had it for about a year, and it started doing that thing where it would go when it would go to print, it would take in five or six blank sheets at a time. Like it couldn't pull the paper in one at a time. And you think to yourself, well, that's an easy fix. And then you stare at it for a minute, and then you realize, well, it, be that as it may, I don't know how to do it. So you have to take it to the printer guy, who then, you know, can just, you know, it, you almost feel like he can just make it up on the spot. Well, that'll be uh, $172, you know, and what are you going to do? No. I mean, it's like a $600 printer. Of course I'm going to pay it. So, and it's the same thing with ink. I went into the kitchen not too long ago, and Richie was in there, though, with like a turkey baster and a syringe hand-filling all of his ink cartridges. With like a huge, he had like a big gallon drum full of ink, and he was busy filling them by hand. So, But with some printers, you can't use that refill thing. Is that true? Yes. By some, do you mean yours? Epsom. <laughs> Um, and they won't let you recycle those either. <laughs> and they won't let you switch it to black and white printing. No. That's just infuriating. I was infuriated. I still am. <laughs> Good. Why do I need color for it if no color is called for it? I'm printing a letter, black and white. The paper is white. The print is black. <laughs> I don't have the answer. It, what I mean, kind of America is this? <laughs> There's no freedom of choice <laughs> <laughs> Seems like they ought to having you uh, print in red, Tim. So that means I have to go back and buy all the colors, which includes another black. So I have an extra black that I don't need. Yeah, and that you won't be able to use in the no, future. because I already opened it. <laughs> of course. Ink, I mean, that is... I might as well just shake it all over the carpeting. <laughs> I printed out like a 70-page document the other day for something, and only... Does it seem like there ought to be... Since we're talking about printers, if this is the Geek Watch, let's just do it. Since we're talking about goddamn printers, yes. so does it seem like there ought to be something on the printer that will warn you when it's low on ink, too? Yeah. I mean, driving a car. There usually is. 
Well, what would it be? What is, what is it? They usually like have a gauge. Like if it's a digital panel, they have a gauge on there that will show like. And it's a blinking drop. Oh, see, I don't have that. See, oh. mine doesn't have a digital doesn't have a digital panel, or maybe I just can't see it because the printer is up on a shelf above the computer. It's above eye line. All so, you got to do is print three things on mine. It's blinking already. <laughs> but I printed like a seventy page document. I'm like, well, I'm glad that's done, done and finished. And and then I looked, and it had done the most infuriating thing. It's not that it hadn't printed; it had printed like. The sides of the document, but down the middle, just a big white strip. Nothing in the middle of the page printed. The hell is that about? How is it that there's enough ink to print on the sides of the document, but down the middle for 70 pages, there's just... What is it? Don't tell me it's low on ink. There was enough ink to print the sides of the document for 70 pages. Why was there no ink Why to print in the middle? Why did you catch on until page 70? Well, because I just said print and walked away. I'm going to print this and go make myself a cup of relaxing tea. And I came back. I can't wait to read my... And then you look at it, and there's just like a big column of white down the middle of the page for 70 pages. And then you have to do that thing of, like, uh, that cheap-ass thing because you don't want to do the, you know, those Tims, and you don't want to get, put your pants on and go to the store and pay $4,000 for an ink refill. Oh. So you say you take the ink cartridge out and you sort of shake it. Have you ever done that? You take the ink cartridge out and, like, like hitting it against the wall, uh, trying to get it to, uh, you know, trying to get it to work. Oh, I have not the Obama shirt. No. Anyway, um... But, you know, and then you put it back in, and then you just pray to holy Christ that the thing prints correctly. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then that brings me to this issue of Wired Magazine this morning. I love Wired Magazine, but I'm reading this article about the massively multiplayer honorable thing, and I'm trying to print it out, and, you know, like, oh, what a satisfying article. We can milk some laughs out of this. Maybe I'll print it right now. Hooray! Print, close. Close the window, go back about my business. Later on, go downstairs, go to the printer, pick up the news articles. Why, look, here's the Wired article that I printed out. There's the word Wired at the top and nothing else. The rest of the article just refused to print. I mean, what is that about? Why would something on the page, on the screen, just not print? You know what other site does this? MSNBC. Oh, no, MSNBC does this, too. Can I tell you this? If you try to print from MSNBC, MSNBC uh, on my computer upstairs, it crashes the browser. You can look at MSNBC.com. You hit print, crashes the browser every time. Some Oregon Live is like that, too. And Oregon Live is like one of the worst sites on Earth. Everyone hates it. No matter what you're looking for, it's not there. It pretends it's there, but then it makes you wait for two hours. Finally get there, nothing. Let me, uh, here's another question, since we're talking about this. Oh, no. No, 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 this is fun. This is, you know what it is there? This is relatable, because everybody suffers from these issues. How about this? How I can't about... ever print my emails out. My email never prints. What Every time it just oh, says oh. Gmail on the top, and then you see the side, and you can see my inbox and everything, but it will not print. See, that's email. what I'm talking about. Why won't it print the email? It's there. It's on the screen. I just copy and paste it. There is a concept in printing called, it's the WYSIWYG concept that is an acronym that stands for what you see is what you get, and that was the big innovation in laser printers, is that what was on the screen is exactly what would print. When did we lose that ability to just print what's on the freaking screen? Also this, have you ever gone to a website, and you were talking about Oregon Live, I'm thinking of another one, uh, a local publication with whom we have an on-again, sort of off-again relationship with some of their writers. I don't want to pick on them by name, but it's a local, a local Portland news publication. And uh, we're friendly with some of the folks who write for it. Let's just put it that way. Mm. And you go there, and you put in a search term, and it's a search term, it's for something you know is there. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, you go and type in, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever, uh, bowling ball, because you know that they just ran an article about bowling ball. I'm, I'm sorry, your search term has reserved zero results. Well, how could that be? I know it's there. Don't even get me started on the CBS, the email system. 
Oh, that thing. Is oh, good. we won't. <sighs> you know, when you go to search for something in the CBS email system, you'll put in, let's say, bowling ball. You know, you just like, search your emails. You know, okay, wait, type it. You go to the, the, the search email box. You type in bowling ball and you hit search. And then you got to wait like two minutes for it to search the email. Why does it have to? The emails are right there. And they should just get Gmail technology. Does it? Well, I and it's same, you know, sort of the same thing. I use Yahoo, you know, sort of in my personal. Gmail is so fantastic. that it. it goes through your spam, through your trash, through everything. I know. And I, no, no, I'm a big fan of Gmail. I'm not trying to diss Gmail. I'm saying that I use Yahoo, which is sort of the same in that. If you go to and you type in bowling ball, hit search, bam. It find, if there's an email that has the word bowling ball in it, it finds it in like nine seconds. CBS, the, the, I mean, the email program has all day when I'm not using it to sit there and sort of go through the emails and figure out what's there. So the next time I search for something, it already knows. I mean, doesn't it seem like the email program ought to know what's in the inbox so it doesn't have to, like, sort through it by hand every time to look for something? Yes. Yes. Jesus. Yes. All right. Somebody wants to talk about printers. Do we want to do that? Mm. Sure. All right. Take one call about printers, then we'll end this Geek Watch. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yeah, Rick, uh, real quick. Um, reason why you're not getting printing in the middle of the page if you're using a laser printer is because either your fuser's dead or your, ta- or your uh, drum is dead. I don't know what that means. That's okay. Just know that's what it is. But I mean, no, 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 because when I take the uh, the ink thing out and shake it and put it back in, then it works. Yeah, that's, and that's the, uh, the drum piece on that's attached to where the ink actually loads in the laser printer. Wait, so... It's, it's a round cylindrical piece. That's is this bad? Is it, is it bad? You just need to replace the cartridge is what you need to do. All right. I can't even imagine how much that's going to cost. I mean, I'm just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because I know they're just going to screw me for like $80 for that. Yeah, probably. All right. Thank you. No worries. Would you agree, Tim, that the printer and ink, that is the new give you the razor, sell you the blades? Yeah. I mean, there's no... I can't think of any other product... You know, that's an old maxim in marketing. Give you the razor, sell you the blades. Where they they, they would sell you a that's razor so for like true. a dollar. I was going to try and find like a, a fancy razor the other day and I ended up buying just like the bulk package, you know, like crappy ones because yeah. you can buy the razor for $3 and then five cartridges for 25 Exactly. And I use, um, well, I talked about I use that I use that Mach 3 thing just because, mm. whatever, because it's what I always use. But it's the same thing where you, you buy the initial razor, it's like $10, comes with one refill. You, the, the refills in the Mach 3, I swear to God, they're $24. So. I mean that that really is and That's like other on the Gillette Fusion and other industries I think have looked at the razor world and they've decided to just sort of replicate that and that's with the, the printer and the ink thing. Uh, I mean, I, and you could also make the case that it's like this with video games actually because although the Xbox 360 is fairly steep, you know, for a long time video game the actual system was not that expensive and then it would nail you for 50 bucks a game or something. All right, the point is in this age of Conan game. Apparently, one of the big selling points for the younger set is that the female characters all have massive bosoms, massive gravity-defying bosoms. And I guess there was some sort of a glitch in the coding when they did this new patch, and the breast size of all the female characters shrank from like an F cup or something to like a B. And, and of course, they just fielded, I guess, thousands and thousands of angry emails from horny teenage boys. I was logging on hoping to see a pair of massive bosoms. And so so how sad and great, though, is it? That the company, I mean, it's like a billion-dollar video game company, had to put out a press release addressing this fact and promising its many customers that the breast size will return to their previously unbelievable proportions before the week is out. I mean, that really is the video game world in a nutshell right there. You know what I mean? They had to put out a press release apologizing for the fact that the female characters had their breasts reduced and that they'll be restored. So don't panic.
Anybody else want to talk about printers before we go? No, I'm done with them. All right. There's your Geek Watch. Back after this. By Grafthar's Hammer, by the Sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. Next. Oh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. This is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Hello. Classic. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Did you just find a hair in your food? No, it's a pepper. All right. You sure it wasn't a hair? You sure it wasn't a hair? The kind, that, a sparkle. the kind that wraps itself around your tongue and then gets caught between your teeth only to break off when you pull on it? Hi, Aaron. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, Richie, are we talking to uh, to Mr. Skin? Yeah, let me know. You want to? Uh, we'll do. Uh, we'll do, go to the Ministry of Truth here. We'll come back talk to Mr. Skin in a second. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your personal savior. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So don't forget, you're minutes away from all these traffic delays as part of the Rose Fleet comes in today. Uh, there are going to be ten ships, not all arriving today, about four. Four ships are going to come in between three and four today. Then four ships from uh, three o'clock tomorrow. And this is really confusing. It really is. I just wish somebody would tell me when I can go home and when I can't. You can go home anytime you want. Well, no, but that's not true. You say that now, and then I get on the bridge, and then I'm there. Is that? You're stuck on that forever. You know what I'm talking about. Because if there's even another boat in, in any near vicinity, you're just stuck there for an hour. I don't want to crank myself up into some other disproportionately angry rant again. But here's the thing. I'm not going to do my whole thing about why don't they just build the bridges higher, but I will say this. Uh, Laura and I were bicycling along the water the other day, and we saw the bridge going up for a boat, and we did have this this moment of being able to observe that the, like, the boat was nowhere near high enough to warrant the bridge being lifted. It made no sense. I mean, the boat probably had... I would guess 20 feet of clearance. There was no reason why the bridge had to go up. Here's the other thing. I was going to uh, meet somebody uh, at my father's place the other day, and so I'm going across the, the Hawthorne Bridge. You know what's really frustrating? When you are the first or last, depending on how you look at it. You know, in other words, when you are right there, when the, when the little arm comes down and the bridge starts to go up. And it was like, oh, come on, one more, let me go through. Damn. And so you're first, and you have to sit there uh, the whole time, and you realize if you had just been 10 seconds earlier, you would have made it through. So instead, you know, this is not so bad. I got, the, I got to sit and watch that the guy in the white suit with the Mickey Mouse ears, you know, play the trumpet. But still. Um, but well, those bridge guys have to do something with their time. I suppose. Uh, I think it was Mike Chase that used to call those guys because he somehow got the number that went into that, like, bridge house. I know. I, I have such a disproportionate amount of rage toward those people. Yeah, and it's not their fault. It's not But their you fault. hate them anyway. I know. I yeah. know. Just like construction workers, you know, like if there's a huge project, it's not their fault. The person holding the stop and slow sign, you hate that person. So you shouldn't. Maybe they're paid by the bridge lift. Maybe. I mean, we could do a whole list of people that you ought not hate, but you do anyway. 
Uh, we'll continue the news in one moment. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend, Mr. Skin, from MrSkin.com. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. How's it going? Uh, it is going fantastically, my friend. Have you had a satisfying last few days? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I don't have bad days doing what I do. <laughs> I, I, would imagine, I would imagine that's true. Can I ask, can I ask you a question, if you, if you don't mind? Sure. Now, did you, now are, are, are the elder, are, are Mr. or Mommy and Daddy Skin is sort of, I mean, did, they, did you at some point have a conversation where you said, look, this is, this is what, I'm not going to become a priest. It's time right. you know. Great, great question. Um, in, uh, back in 98, I had to sit down with my parents and say, listen, I'm uh, no longer going to be working at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, there's this thing called the Internet, and I'm going to start a website where people go to look at nude actresses. Uh, I just want you to be aware because uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about this. If, if it succeeds, you're going to uh, hear a lot about this, and I want to be the first to tell you. And I, can't, I have to say they, they couldn't have been uh, cooler about it. In fact, uh, uh, to this day, my mom's still a skin turn working for the company. Excellent. Good for you. All right, what is up in the world of nudity, my friend? Well, You Don't Mess with the Zohan opens in theaters this weekend, and uh, the the main babe in it, the Adam Sandler film, the main babe in it is Manuel Shrike, who's gorgeous. Unfortunately, she's not nude in this, nor has she done an official nude scene, but the something you should check out is a a movie called National Lampoon's Adam and Eve from a few years back. The good news, she's topless. The bad news, she's laying on a guy, so it's like squishy side boobage. So we can't count that, but it's uh, the, one of the uh, better efforts by her. She also had a, a great menage a trois in an entourage uh, playing E's girlfriend. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, she was the brunette. Uh, uh, in that, so uh, but that was like she was topless, but her back was to the camera. So she's uh, she's come close, and uh, I know a lot of guys are into her. But those are the two best places to see her: National Lampoon's Adam and Eve and Entourage. Right. Um, also, the releasing on Blu-ray, high def, Dirty Harry, the Ultimate Collector's Edition, and you know he's the these are the movies that gave birth to the modern action hero. And all five films: Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, Sudden Impact, The Deadpool, The Enforcer are in this disc, and I don't know, a lot of guys know about these movies. I don't know if they realize that some 70s TV stars did nude debuts in Dirty Harry movies. Example, if you liked Welcome Back, Cotter, there was a girl, Deborah Lee Scott, who played Hotsy Totsy. Yeah. She was uh, full frontal in Dirty Harry, the original, but unfortunately she's being pulled out of a sewer drain. But uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, um, Magnum Force in 1973 <laughs> featured a... A then-unknown Suzanne Summers, uh, who would go on a couple years later to hit it big on Three's Company. She's the girl in the swimming pool? Yeah, that's Suzanne yeah. Summers, yeah. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> topless scene. Uh, uh, again, uh, she takes a bullet between the boobies uh, in that, so we can't uh, uh, get too excited, but it is her only time to see her naked in a movie, uh, Suzanne Summers and Magnum Force. But they're releasing this all uh, Blu-ray and high-def this week. And, and finally, I wanted to mention Weed Season 3. Uh, out on DVD, the popular Showtime series about a suburban mom who t turns a marijuana dealer. Lots of nudity, including from Mary Louise Parker, who uh, is the star. And uh, if she's not uh, showing some skin, there's tons of other actresses Excellent. Uh, naked in that. So check it out. All right, my friend, as always, a pleasure. We will talk to you next week, sir. All right, Rick, take there care. you go. There you go. Mr. Skin from Mr. Skin. Every actor has to spend a little time <laughs> in the sewer. <laughs> That was hilarious. <laughs> it was. I didn't. Well, she's being pulled out of a gutter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no scene is perfect, Sarah. Tim Riley has more news for you. <clears throat>
Oregon Democratic Senator Ron Wyden has endorsed Barack Obama for president. Well, it seems to be a safe thing to do at this point. Really, way to, way to take a stand, Ron. Way to be out there on the bleeding edge. The astronauts have fixed the broken toilet. Oh. To everyone's uh, relief, they fixed the toilet at the International Space Station. And now, they're getting ready to open up a brand new science lab. The toilet problem has fast become the most pressing issue on the mission, and they flew a Russian toilet part up, and apparently, uh, let's see, they flushed it today, and they used extra water several times. So uh, everyone in orbit is thrilled that the new pump for the toilet has solved the problem. Have they answered the tricky question about what they've been doing? I mean, really, this toilet's been broken for 10 days, and there's a bunch of people in there in space who are eating. Uh-huh. You know? I mean... Now what goes in must come out. I mean, I'm looking they, here, it doesn't really explain. They that. haven't explained exactly how this has been taken care of all this time. No. All right. Uh, then we have the story: uh, doctors in Japan carrying out surgery on a man to remove a tumor. Tumor. Well, it wasn't a tumor; it was a a towel. Oh. It what? was a 25-year-old surgical towel. I guess he didn't. Oh. He didn't know where his towel was. No, he'd been carrying the towel since 1983 when surgeons left it inside of him after a minor operation to treat an ulcer. He's now 49. He went to the hospital suffering abdominal pain. When the examination found what was believed to be a tumor, he underwent the operation to remove it. Well, then they realized it was a towel. It's greenish-blue still. And uh, they're not sure if that's the original color of the towel. It had uh, crumbled up to the size of a softball. Uh. Hospital officials have apologized. He has no plans to sue the hospital. All right, But in his stomach, uh, he will always be able to ward off the bug bladder beast of trowel. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the story from the Netherlands. Police in Ulrich, Netherlands, say a prankster suffered deep wounds to his bare backside when he pressed it up against a restaurant window and broke the glass. The 21-year-old man was treated for injuries at a nearby hospital. The man and two others who were with him at the time of the incident were detained by police, but they ordered the restaurant to agree not to press charges if the man agreed to replace the window. Then we have the four-year-old boy in rehab in Taiwan because he became addicted to smoking his dad's cigars. The father started uh, taking his sons, aged nine and four, to a rehab center after catching them uh, stealing his cigars and cigarettes. The answer was uh, what he expected, but it was hard to accept. The boys admit stealing, and they did it because they thought their father looked cool when he smoked, especially the four-year-old. He even played with his brother to borrow cigarettes from classmates if they couldn't find enough that dad had left behind. The dad took his son to a rehabilitation center to overcome their nicotine addiction. The center criticized him for failing to uh, continue treatment alongside his children. Uh, a boy has pulled a machete on his parents in a curfew fight. This happened in Florida, of all places. Oh, oh, oh. Where did it happen? Where, where did it happen? Florida. Oh, darn it, Mendoza. Yeah! Oh! Toned. A 15-year-old boy punched his stepfather and waved a machete at his mom after an argument about his curfew. Uh, Palm Beach police were called uh, late last night to a home on Big Home Circle to investigate reports of a disturbance. The teen had gotten into a fight with his stepfather after a curfew time was imposed by his mother. The teen went into a rage against his mother and grabbed a uh, gun and two machetes. The teen pointed the weapons at the pair and made several threats before his grandfather convinced him to put those items down. Wait, so did you say, I missed this, where did he get the machete from? I guess it was just hanging around. <laughs> just sort of there? That seems like a thing you don't want to just have laying around the house. I know people in, in L.A. who have one under their bed. I went to school with a kid who hacked up his mom with a machete, and I bet she regrets having that around. I mean, I, I bet I bet one of her Ew, final really? thoughts might have been, this was a bad idea. You know, I mean, it, it seems like, yeah, no, he sat next to me in driver's ed. I won't give his, I won't even give part of his name, but he uh, sat next to me in driver's ed. Got, he's the sort of, call, I, although now that I'm thinking about it, she didn't die. Uh, so, I mean, 
you know. So I guess it's very upset about a little it. bit of an upset. She was very cross about it. Uh, he is the cautionary tale, though, that you always hear about because he got really, really high on acid, was listening to Pink Floyd all night, and somehow heard a voice telling him to go like hack up his mom. So he got the machete and you know, kind of went to work. Um, by the way, somebody has sent me a tip to him on how you might be able to print in black and white in a color printer. All right. He says, to print in black ink on a color printer, you hit control. Oh, but you have a Mac. Uh-huh. Well, never mind. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. That wasn't, oh, in- wasn't that PC no, smudging. That, that wasn't intentional. I really, that wasn't intentional. I was just reading it. You were savoring this moment. <laughs> I was just reading it, and I realized as I got halfway through the email that it doesn't apply to you, Tim. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All right. You're forgiven. All right. Thank Until the you. next time. Okay. Actor Ethan Hawke is reportedly set to tie the knot again. According to page six, the star and his apparent fiance, Ryan Shaw Hughes, were spotted at a municipal building in Manhattan applying for their marriage license. Shaw Hughes is also reportedly pregnant with their first child together. The couple first met when she was employed as a nanny during his marriage to Uma Thurman. Hawk and Uma have two children together, a nine-year-old daughter named Maya, and a six-year-old son named Levon. The former couple divorced in 2003 after five years of marriage. Thurman has been recently linked to a London-based millionaire, Apod Busum, who has had two children by his former girlfriend, who's supermodel Ellie McPherson. William Shatner uh, most likely won't be invited to the wedding of his co-star, George Sulu Takai. Shatner. I barely knew her. Who will marry his long-time uh, boyfriend in September. We only have 200 seats. Uh, our contract says, uh, let's see, they have about uh, 3,500 names, so they had to whittle it down. And he doesn't know where William Shatner is, but he didn't make the cut. <laughs> How sad. <laughs> he, called, he called Shatner a wonderful actor. Uh-huh. He's a wonderful actor. He won't be coming to my wedding. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, what are we doing here? We've got, well, these are sort of mystery calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. There it is. Hey, I've got a couple of comments and uh, a question for Sarah. Um, as far as, uh, this is Benjamin, the therapist, by the way. Ah, yes. Hello. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Fine. Hi, I do that. Oh, wonderful. Um, as far as traffic goes, if you really are going to take the Ross Island, go down Powell. Don't get off of 205. Uh, I'm sorry. Don't uh, get off of 102nd and get on to 205. That will be a mess. Just take 102nd all the way up to the airport. Um, oh, oh, I see. Okay, instead of taking okay, the on-ramp. Yeah. All right, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on, oh. 205 is a mess. Yeah, map, and of course, so it, is has, it's like, it just is like this, all these overlapping concentric circles of doom because there's like so there's the parade, there's the boats, there's the bridge lift, and then, of course, it's rush hour, and i got to try to get to the airport, and there's a fixed time by which I must get there. So it just sucks all the way around. Oh, and and the other thing, here's the other thing. I gotta go to, today. I gotta go to the DEQ and get my uh, my emissions test done because I realized that my registration lapses oh, on that's Friday. That's a big scam. They just wave you through anyway. I know. Just, that's all it is. You just you might as well just like just throw them a twenty dollar bill yeah. as you're driving. No, by. my friend uh, had has a pretty new car, but he didn't drive it for a few months, and then he brought it to get his emissions test, and it didn't pass. Are you kidding me? No, and it's like a, a two thousand four um like. That's what I have. I don't like what I'm hearing. They just smile and wave you through. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. See, the thing is, on Wednesday, I shouldn't say this because it's to be crowded, but Wednesday night they're open late. Wednesday is the one night they're open really late. Oh, so you have to go out to Columbia Boulevard after going to the airport? Uh, Yeah, I got to go to the airport, then I got to go to the DEQ, and then I got to try to swing by 
and actually get the whole... Now, see, I have never... I'm sorry, I've hijacked your call. Go ahead, and then I'll return to my DEQ emission problems. Well, yeah, I guess bottom line on that is if, if there's any way to avoid it, just give up now. Don't even try. But um, you mentioned the uh, air raid siren earlier today. I, yeah. I don't know what else is going on citywide, but uh, my particular hospital is doing a earthquake drill later today, so that might have been... Maybe that's what it is. I swear to God I heard an air raid siren downtown around 1030. It was freaking yeah. me out. You may have. Yeah. Um so, yeah, at the gym today, I was listening to the podcast of yesterday's show, and you actually mentioned me and uh, Richie making explosives. Yeah, um, uh, he apparently blew himself up at one point <laughs> when he was about 12, making dynamite and selling it to children. Yeah, well, you know, teenage boys fascinated by fire and things that blow up, completely normal. It's when they start, you know, like torturing dogs or dissecting live squirrels. That's when you need to worry. Yeah, so, I, don't uh, think he's, uh, I don't think he's done any of those things, no, to the best of our knowledge. I don't think he has either. So, okay, and all of that out of the way. And, uh, Sarah, Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, did you you finally watched the uh, episode of Lost, the final, the season finale, right? Yes. Well, I watched it. I watched it on the internet. So. Um, oh. Oh. Was it without commercials? Yeah. It, it didn't have any commercials. Oh. Did you get my email? I sent. I don't know about I an did. Hour ago. You, yeah. You know. I actually forwarded it to my Gmail account so I can watch it when I get home because I did not see that commercial yet. So a okay. secret viral commercial. Yeah. Do you want me to mention it now, or do you want to wait and talk about it? No. No. Time? No. But. But. Yeah. What's going on with it? Well, I was really excited when I saw that. I'm like, oh, you know, I had it on my DVR, and I'm like, whoa, did you see that? You know, talking to my, my friend who was in the room, we actually rewinded it and watched it again. It was kind of like a, an advertisement spot saying, hey, we have lots of positions available, so go to this website and check it out. And if you were really paying attention, at the very bottom of the screen, it says this commercial was paid for by ABC. And I'm like, okay, that's not right. Um, but the, the website is www.octagonglobalrecruiting.com. And when you go to that website, it says, you know, this is, uh, you know, sponsored on behalf of the Dharma Initiative, and you can sign up on the email there. Um, and it it's, talks about some kind of upcoming event that's going to be in Southern California, I think, during the weekend of Comic-Con. FYI, so. you're not allowed to say you don't play video games, because this is a video game. You you won't admit it, but this is really just a video game, Sarah. This is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. I am game. totally going to California right. for that. Thank you, my friend. That's all I got. All Take right. care. Bye now. Oh, have you seen that website, Sarah Jessica Parker looks like a horse.com? Yes. All right. Here's Tim Riley. That sounds pretty interesting. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's just pictures of her next to pictures of horses. <laughs> yes, I swear to God, it's like 50 photos of various poses of her next to like a horse that's in the same pose. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll have to make some time later. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I spent about 10 minutes on it, giggling to myself like a small child. All right. Oh, it's after two already. It's uh, two oh two. We'll take a break breaks. here and here in a moment for one of our uh, many uh, paid advertisements. Uh, time for a penis watch first. Here's your penis watch. This is exactly what a client wants adjacent to their spot. No, no, no. Can we position ourselves so we come right after the penis watch? That'd be great. Thanks. Do you have any penis spot adjacent? <laughs> Chris Tate, I'm looking at you. Now this is in two parts. An 85-year-old man has been arrested and charged with breaking a restraining order nearly two years after he was accused of wagging his penis at a girl. Uh, they nabbed uh, Cornelius Bueller. Bueller? After he showed up at a neighbor's house with a note apologizing for his behavior. Sorry about the penis. Bueller was supposed to stay away from the neighbor and her children, who uh, reportedly saw the elderly man swimming naked and urinating outside <laughs> and showing off his penis to children. Showing it off. Showing it off is a great phrase, though, because it implies a certain pride. Uh, you know, I certain... bet you never thought somebody as old as me had one. A certain... Wait, is that... <laughs> is that... You saying what? that impersonating uh, the man? Yes, I am. Not, that's uh, not in the story. No, no. You're speculating yes, as to what he might have said. All right. I just thought it was showing it off implies a certain sense of greatness of one's own member. So, all right. 
Uh, here's a retired minister who admitted to of deputies he that he was once jailed for molesting children in California. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see here. An alcohol-fueled practical joke went bad when the South County man's cologne-soaked pants were torched. Two men faced criminal charges allegedly after they set fire to a friend's groin. That's a practical <laughs> joke. Hey, Bob, you know, it be funny if we set fire to your testicles. Now, don't move. Uh, Matthew and his friend Jack are charged with battery and unlawfully causing a fire. They're set to appear in court. After being arraigned on charges, they carry a maximum of four years, maybe six years in prison. Apparently, the friends were drinking at a house at the beach when uh, the friend passed out. Then they decided to play a practical joke on the passed out friend. They routinely drank together and play practical jokes on each other, like shaving each other's eyebrows, as all men do. <laughs> uh, they were drinking, and one of the guys passed out. So the other two said, let's do something. I'm going to go look for rotten fruit to put in his socks. Well, the other guy found a bottle of cologne and poured it onto his pants. One guy said, that's funny. The other guy said, that's not funny. If you lit it on fire, now that would be funny. <laughs> so they all agreed. They lit the passed out friend's uh, uh, groin on fire. <laughs> he First woke up. Because why not? The, one of the men attempted to extinguish the blaze. Don't you but, get the... But not as quickly as they could but have. don't you get the great image then of them trying to put the fire by hitting him repeatedly in the groin with something? Uh -huh. Hold on. Whack, whack, whack. Just run, run. That really needs to be put in a cartoon right now. Family Guy, South Park, whatever. Set a guy's groin on fire. And then, of course, comes the comedy when you're then trying to put it out later. Yeah, second-degree testicle burns. Oh. And third-degree burns to his inner... Uh, he does not believe his friends intended to harm him, though. <laughs> just, just for fun. Uh, all right. Uh, penis watch. Okay, there you go. There's your penis watch. Take a look. We have Steve Cast about a 210. All right, let's just power through. Well, let's do one more then, Tim, and uh, we'll, we'll set you free on KCMD Portland. And then we'll take these calls, then we'll talk to Steve Cast and bam. Uh, let's see, then we'll we'll do some other crap. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's see what else we have. We have some more watches we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, plus, we have Dan from Powell's who's going to come on uh, for a few minutes uh, later on and talk about uh, the uh, Worldwide Dungeons and Dragons Day, which is happening this coming Saturday at Powell's Books. That sounds delightful. Yes, it does. Uh, how about a taser watch? How about a taser watch? Here's your taser watch for uh, Wednesday. So we have a couple here. A police officer was injured over the weekend when another policeman accidentally shot him with a taser as the two tried to break up a melee at a city nightclub. Uh, apparently, the, one of the officers aimed the taser at the boy, but one of the weapons probes accidentally struck the other officer in the arm. The officer fell as he was struck by the taser, hurt his knee. He was treated at a nearby hospital, expected to be back on duty. The fight involved about six police officers and uh, many other people. This one comes from Eugene. Their police department there has used tasers nine times since January. The officers also threatened to deploy the devices more than 30 times. Is that too often? And should the police even have tasers at all? Yes, they should, and they should use them frequently. Uh, one citizen said, I don't like seeing tasers or any other kind of weapon. Uh, and the way they treat the citizenry like this. Others think tasers will lower the bar for police to use force. When you bring weapons like tasers that are not lethal, they can be used excessively because they're not lethal. So the police start losing track of what kind of people they should uh, use them on. And, but the police... Do you suppose the, the, the in, because do they have to file... Is it like with a gun 
Because when you, when you shoot your gun, you have to file a report. I think any time an officer discharges his, his weapon, as they say, it, you have to file a report about it. Is it that way, do you think, with tasers? Like, every time they tase somebody, that they have to file a report about it? Tasers slip of I, I think so, because I'm sure they have to, like, register for any kind of weapon they have. I don't know, because otherwise, don't you think the, the urge would be overwhelming just to start tasing anybody who looked at you wrong? My friend Billy just became a cop, and uh, he had to get tasered yesterday. Really? As part of his training? Yeah, for five seconds, and he said he couldn't, yeah, he couldn't move. Well, you know, Richie... Uh, has been tased, and then he talked about the, you know, he was, he said it was, he was just paralyzed, uh, he was uh, paralyzed. So, but so, it, and he, they used the kind where they shot the darts into him or whatever, do you yeah. know? Yeah, and he said, he said he was just exhausted because it had just happened to him earlier in the day and it was like 7 o'clock. Because it cinches up all your muscles, mm. right? Like one big sort of like. Like parent, yeah, totally like a big paralyzed person. That's completely weird. And then, but then there's the stun gun kind, which and I think the stun gun kind would be easier to use like repeatedly because I think that the kind that shoots the darts, like it has to be reloaded or something. Because I know that for me, like I couldn't really own a taser for the same reason I couldn't own a gun because I would just be tempted to use it on everybody who displeased me. I mean, the second a guy started running a leaf blower on a Sunday morning, I'd be just tasing the, the ass out of him. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, the first time. Uh, the first time that I saw somebody like, uh, you know, uh, like uh, blocking my car in by parking the wrong way in my street, I'd just go give that guy a tasing like he never had. All right. Um, all right. There you go. There's your taser watch for uh, Wednesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. More from Tim Riley here in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, later on, we have today's top five. Top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Uh, we'll also talk to senior radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum here in just a few, as well as Dan from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing about Worldwide Dungeons & Dragons Day, uh, which is coming up this Saturday for the edition of the uh, the release. I have to make sure that I get this right. For the release of the fourth edition of the Dungeons & Dragons rulebook. And apparently there's some sort of... There's some sort of buzz on the street because I guess this version of the game, they're saying it's going to disallow the use of the 20-sided die. And whatever. It's all very complicated. Um, AM 970 will be out there. We'll have a presence, as they say. Uh, so we, uh, the station will be at uh, Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing uh, this coming uh, Saturday with uh, giveaways for Volody and so forth. All right. Uh, that's all coming up. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir. Madam, as the case may be. Speak now and amuse us. Yeah, first of all, uh, God bless you, uh, Tim Riley. That was a freaking hilarious penis watch. You know, we need a new definition on friend. If you are combining the, uh, the terms friends set his groin on fire, that is, uh, that's excellent. I, did, I will go back to where they said he was the shaving a friend's eyebrows. Shaving a friend's eyebrows really is like, that's one of your standards, though. That really Absolutely. is a, that's a gold in terms of things you do to your friends. What I did not know until you and somebody else clarified it, I forget who it was, Sarah, the whole thing about with your shoes on or off. Mm -hmm. Somebody was in, I forget who it was. That's the yep. rule. And yep, I, never... that is, I I can I uh, concur on that one. See, that and you all are cool. a kinder generation than mine was because when I when I was growing up, it didn't matter. Shoes on, shoes off. If you were asleep, uh, your friends hosed you somehow. Oh no, the rule was broken uh, all the time. Yeah, and and... It's just, I mean, it's just kind of a general principle, more of a guideline. There was a uh, there was a Sam Kinison tape, uh, a Sam Kinison uh, record called I think I think it was the Louder Than Hell album, where Sam Kinison talked about being at a party once. How do I put this? Um, I'll have to clean this up. He talked about being at a party. Where a guy fell asleep, he fell asleep like on the sofa, sort of like laying back, but he fell asleep with his mouth sort of open. 
And as Kinnison related the story, a bunch of guys got around him and were then uh, tackled out and took a photograph. So all you saw was their business and the guy's open mouth. And then <laughs> it was you know, a South Park episode yeah, like that. Yeah, and he's like, "That's what you want, like photocopy blown up and handed around the office." <laughs> and the thing is, but I got to tell you, after and in my circle of friends, we all loved Sam Kinison. When that album came out, everybody then became a little bit more careful about where they fell asleep because nobody wanted to be the guy that that happened to in real life. The eyebrow shaving did happen, though, and of course uh, that fa that old standby, uh, standby of when a guy would fall asleep, you would just like drop his hand into a thing of warm really water so he'd pee himself. Uh, I didn't personally, but I had been there. No, because I was one of those guys who would just never fall asleep. And plus, you know, I was I was always the guy that wasn't drunk, um, because I kind of figured out early on that didn't really work for me. So I was the guy at the parties who was who was sober, and so I would just be there. You know, uh, I was there so I could like relate the story later. Hey, you remember last night? Yeah, remember, remember last night when you, were, when you were drunk and then we got you to pee yourself? Wasn't that great? Uh, because the guy would pass out. And you must have. Did you do this to girls? Did mm. girls do the hand in the water? Yeah, sometimes. Or else I, but that, I was like you. Like, I would always stay up later than everybody oh, yeah. else. No, because I, would never, I wasn't going to be that guy. Uh, so, yeah, the eyebrow shaving always happened. But, but setting a guy's scrotum on fire, that does seem to cross a line. No, that's, that's definitely on the yeah. other side. I, yeah. I don't... Uh... Yeah, that's that's your friends are no longer there. There's something completely different at that point. It's like a different kind of friendship. Yeah. Hey, I uh, I have to commiserate with you. Just uh, this is the purpose of my call. I have to commiserate on the uh, whole freaking uh, printer thing. Yeah. Um, the uh, the financial industry uh, uh, in which I work is probably responsible for the. Uh, the uh, the death of many thousands of acres of trees all on its own because we go through so you know such ridiculous grievous quantities of paper and so of course you know we're always having to you know service printers and uh, you know copy machines right. and, and whatnot and so this is a, a particular gripe this and and if you work uh, uh, on the road or, or have your own equipment that you're using so you know you're constantly going through cartridges cartridges and, and whatnot. And uh, so I just had some input, uh, you know, a major corruption to American industry, and this is kind of relevant to this, is a purposeful engineering that goes into making certain that uh, certain parts fail. Oh, it is, uh, yeah, durable goods. It is planned obsolescence. There's it, no getting around that. The aftermarket industry is everything. And the reason that, you know, automakers won't warranty their products beyond you know, the, the the current limits is not that they're unable, but that it's going to screw their aftermarket parts industry. You know, what, you know? I, uh, what I think about is I was, my wife and I were at the, it's a long story, but we were like at a Walgreens or something recently, and they sell, and I think we talked about it on the air, they sell that razor, uh, and the razor that supposedly never goes, it never gets dull, it's called like the Infinity Razor. Right. And it's like a razor that supposedly you can use for like a billion years and it never, ever, ever goes dull. And as much as you know in your, in your head it doesn't work, you kind of want it to work because we all secretly believe that razors and things like that are just designed to go bad earlier than they need to. Right. Well, we have. It's, it's, what's so frustrating is you know in 2008 that the technology and engineering now exists to make you know the car, the perfect car, the perfect printer. You know, but the, the problem is that you know if they solve the problem, you're going to kill the income stream that exploits it. Especially because here's the thing: I am old enough to remember, and I don't think they do it this way anymore. But I am old enough to remember getting concert tickets. Here's the story: uh, when I went to my first concert was ACDC, and I went to see ACDC, and it was ACDC and LA Guns, 
And um, I got the ticket, and I'm like, hey, that's so great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laminate this and keep it forever. So I take my ACDC ticket like an idiot. I take it to school. I put it through the laminator when, no, when nobody's looking. And it comes out black on the other side. The whole ticket is just a big black square. Oh, and I was I like, well, what about. the yep. F? And it's because it was heat, it was heat uh, sensitive Total paper. Reactive. And so that's how they printed the, the words on the ticket. It's like it would just print <laughs> the letters ACDC by heating the shapes ACD. Anyway, and so when I laminated it, it just turned the whole ticket black. So my question is, now we shouldn't even need pr- at least black and white printers because they ought to just be able to sell paper that then is heat sensitive, and that's how uh. it prints. So it just seems like we ought to be at that point already. So yeah, I'm glad you could commiserate, my friend. Well, you know, here's a, another quick one on the. Uh, I actually this is this is where it became proof to me. I was talking. I had a, an Amco transmission manager buddy a few years back who was talking about this whole thing. He said that uh, uh, that Ford actually purposefully engineers about sixty thousand miles into the life of their transmissions, so that owners are going to have to pony up the uh, for the replacements and the service, which is you know several thousand. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see here. What are we, uh, well... Well, no Steve Kasten, Mom. So, do you want to... This is a crazy notion. Let's break now. No. Yes. No. Yes. Okay. I'm going to break now, and then we'll, uh, we'll be back after this. All right, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 on, uh, if you are on hold right now, I'm seeing we've got, uh... So I think we have a police officer on hold who's going to talk about the taser. Excellent. So if that's you, hang tight. Back after this, Steve Castamon, theoretically, Dan from Powell's, the top five, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Now more of Tom Hartman Nationwide on Portland's Progressive Talk Station, AM 620 KPOJ. I was tired of my party We were down on our luck With lifetime politicians Only out for a buck And then at home one evening Reading Craigslist online And in the personal section You know this pose caught my eye that Hillary Clinton, as well as Barack Obama, both represent... I am humorous and joyless. All right. And I'll... I'm done. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson... You're listening to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. There you go. Timmy Ryan and uh, Sarah Eckstone, ladies and gentlemen. All right. And Tom Harmon, incidentally. 
All right, uh, so uh, we've got uh, news that we'll go to here in just a moment. We have the top five coming up. Uh, we have uh, the pre-1990 songs, uh, top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. We have Like Us coming up at three, Michael Merritt seven. I have to find my way to the airport at some point. It's all very exciting. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, our good friend Dan. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you, my friend? How's oh. life in the world of the printed page? Very good, very good. All right, so all right, let's talk about uh, about this thing coming up Saturday. Uh, this is Worldwide Dungeons and Dragons Game Day, and coincidentally, it's the day that they're going to be uh, rolling out the latest edition of Dungeons and Dragons, the fourth edition. Uh, so we're going to be there with all of our uh, various dungeon manuals and uh, gear to be given away, uh, drawings, et cetera, et cetera. Now, is the uh, correct me if I'm wrong? Is there some sort of I don't know, controversy going on with her getting rid of the 20-sided die? Well, word on the street, a couple people have come, bu- come up to us and they've uh, said, you know, are you, is it going away from D20? And uh, no, no, the people who have drunk deeply of 4th edition say, nope, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> they've given, up, given me an emphatic no. The 20-sided die stays in 4th edition. Excellent. And you guys are going to have, uh, there's, you're going you're gonna to be supplying your own dungeon masters for this, and then uh, some folks who are there will be able to uh, engage in their own D&D campaigning? Yeah, there might not be a lot of used book buyers, but there's going to be plenty of dungeon masters. I think it's the same skill set. So uh, uh, there's going to be about, I think each campaign will last an introductory campaign about 40 minutes apiece, and uh, people can just go in, get kind of used to the 4th edition, the way it's played, and it's basically the same game, I'm assured. Uh, I came up in the original Dungeons & Dragons, uh, and I was asking, would I be lost in this game? And they said, you would be for a few minutes, and then you'd realize that you're uh, playing the same game you've always played. Excellent. And by the way, uh, I think uh, I know that Sarah and I have gone there. I don't know if Tim has had a chance to stop in yet, but that, uh, that display you've got when you walk in there, and there's the Azure on the Rick Emerson Show uh, display table. Uh, really looks fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. I'm gonna. I'll probably toss you an email later on today with just some like a, a few sort of geek-centric books uh, with which I am familiar that we you know just sort of augment the table with that. Yeah, it'll it will definitely bloom a bit larger this weekend. All right, <laughs> excellent. Sarah would comment right now, but she just. Do you ever do this thing where you're eating and you inadvertently you misjudge either the size of your mouth or the amount of food on the fork and you put way too much food, but then you're sort of as they say in poker pot committed mm-hmm. and you can't really take the food back out of your mouth because it's all been sort of inserted so you have no choice but to literally not figuratively literally bite off more than you can chew and then you look like a velociraptor unhinging your jaw trying to swallow it all that's what just happened to sarah gorgeous all right never mind sorry you didn't hear about all that all right uh, so powell's books at cedar hills crossing 3415 southwest cedar hills boulevard in beaverton where hall and cedar hills boulevard uh connect look for the as heard on the rick emerson show table augmented with some uh, geek uh, literature for this weekend that is june 7th what time does everything start then two o'clock all right two o'clock at <coughs> pardon me at powell's books at cedar hills crossing for worldwide dungeons and dragons game day and the release of the fourth edition adventure all right thank you my friend thank you all right there you go there's uh, dan from powell's books at cedar hills crossing Fantastic. thank you for making me sound like a freak. No, I was just... This is why I never eat salad in public places, because no. I just can't eat salad well, very well. Because salad is like spaghetti. It's like a leafy green spaghetti, because you can never get all of it in your mouth at mm-hmm. once. I mean, it's... And, you know, it, I mean, I used to be so freaked out about when I would eat spaghetti or pasta that I would actually sort of go through when nobody was looking with the side of my fork and sort of chop it up. I will not get salad when I go out to dinner with people. Is that true? Because mm-hmm. you don't want... You know what? I won't eat in the presence of anybody but my wife is... Uh, I've talked about how like either wings or ribs... 
because it's just, it's just it's too much. It's just too much mess. That's a thing you eat alone at home by yourself when nobody can see your shame with a drop cloth. Mm-hmm. And where you can just then go into the shower and hose yourself off when you're done. Uh, like we, uh, my wife and the last time Roger Klein was in town, my wife and Chris Neven and I all went out to this place called, uh, this is not a plug, but this place called Fire on the Mountain. Which is oh, on, is the place on, on Burnside, uh, Burnside, I think. Yeah. I think there's two locations, that place on Burnside. And the deal is, the, the big selling point there is that they have, you know, so hot wings, but with, I think there's I think there's either 20 or 22 different sauces you can choose from. Uh, and it was really good. I should say that. It was really great, but damn, man, it's by the end. By the end, you really do, it, You, I mean, you look like you're right out of Quest for Fire. You know, I mean, like where there's like pterodactyl bones all over. And there's just a huge wad of napkins, and you just feel like such a messy carnivore. I mean, the place was great, but it is. See, like this, this bite's too big, but I can't. No, but see, but you can't, what are you going to do? And you can't really take your hand and fold the lettuce onto the fork. Exactly. All right, we really just started talking about too much in the way of behavioral minutia. Let's. Yeah, here we go. Thank you. From the ministry. Oh, and then we'll talk to this cop about tasing. This is Tim Riley. It'll be the worst thing imaginable. Am I too loud? Uh, For a moment. Okay, now you're fine. Okay. How am I now? I think Sarah adjusted your microphone for your uh, your very crooner-like library for Ecopedx. Okay. All right. I think we're back to normal now. Okay. It's the worst thing you can imagine. Four ships scheduled to arrive, beginning at three o'clock. And this major traffic jam is going to go on for at least an hour. During these virtual lifts, all the max trains will have to drop off riders at the Old Town Chinatown and Rose Quarter Transit Center stations. Then shuttle buses will take these hot, sweaty people across the river, and then they'll have limited options. So hopefully they won't riot. Uh, Max riders traveling to the airport will have to board an airport shuttle bus. How would that be? Jesus. And you know it's going to be sweaty and smelly and hideous and hot and just filled with all kinds of human refuse. You know it's true. So that's where all the criminals get on. So if you go to the airport, well, you really don't want to ride the Max to the airport anyway, Uh, at any point. So they're taking to the airport on the bus. Jesus. So you're lucky. Uh, the kids' parade is all over with. You don't have to worry about that. All right. So uh, 10,000 small children are now gone. Yes. So if you are going to the airport, you're what now? If you go to the airport... They're going to take you there on a bus. Now, is this going to take more time? Well, of course it is. Are you, well, I have no way of knowing oh, these no. things. It, it, it will take so this much is going to, more So this time. is going to take a longer uh, period of time to get to the airport than one might normally be used to. But, but who would take the max to the airport? Well, see, I was sort of hatching this scheme of maybe... I was Don't sort of, do it. I was hatching this scheme of, of maybe saying to my wife, you know, honey, it looks like it's going to be a big, uh, big busy traffic day. What with the parade? Now, maybe I'll just drop you at the at the max station, and then uh, oh, it'll be going? easier for all of us. It, she's it, going to the airport. She's going to she's going to uh, Provo. Uh, uh, nothing more relaxing than a deranged gunman running through your car <laughs> at any second street, ready to dismember anyone he gets in his way. What a way to begin her end of trip. <laughs> well, she's going to Provo, so it's not like she's going. It's not like it's a whole lot of funville anyway. She's going to Utah for a week, and then we're gonna we're gonna rendezvous. We will meet up in uh, Southern California, uh, so where she can detox from spending time with her family. Uh, by the way, I will say this: the one thing last night is I was watching. Um, Obama, you know, really seal the deal. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it fills me with pain that my in-laws were happy last night. I mean, because my in-laws just hate Hillary Clinton so much. Uh, and they are very, very narrow-minded, hyper-conservative people. But I will tell you this, they would, they have, they would vote for Barack Obama in a heartbeat. And they've said as much, uh, in a heartbeat before they would ever vote for Hillary Clinton. And so that was actually the most painful moment for me last night, was realizing that my in-laws were, you know, were happy. Okay. Because I don't like to see that. I don't like to see that happen ever. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, a thug who bit off a man's ear before waving it in front of passengers on the bus has been jailed. Look at this! Didn't happen here, though. 
David Blakely chewed off Malcolm's innate easy ear during a brawl, a brawl on a bus. Uh, the pair had argued at a nightclub, and Blakely claimed the uh, victim's friends had attacked girls he was with. He will be locked up for 40 months after admitting to the assault. His own lawyer admits the crime was disgusting and terrifying. Of course. The, the uh, thug followed the victim onto the bus, punched him in the face, sparking a mass brawl before the savage bite. Then he waved the souvenir around, boasting and asking people to take pictures of it. <laughs> Did anybody oblige? doesn't say here. Uh -huh. They said it is frankly disgusting and very shameful, and the guy's generally sorry for what he has done. Uh, so, oh, this is a bus in England. So, no, oh, this is a bus in Scotland. Wow, this is strange. So there's no more drinking on these buses anymore after this. <laughs> You've just, Tim has decided. There will be no drinking anywhere. <laughs> anywhere in Europe. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yes, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? What do you want to know about tasers? Oh, wait, are you, the, uh, are you a police officer? I am. All right, so now did you yourself have to be tased in order to carry one? I did. And is it is, is it more of a, a pain or is it more of just a uh, like an odd sensation because you're paralyzed? Um, it's more of just the tightening of the muscles. Would you say that it so it doesn't hurt, but it, you I would say it's an unpleasant sensation, right? Oh, it hurts. Oh, so that so it actually hurts too. I mean, does it does it feel? I mean, what kind of pain is it? I know that sounds dumb, but is it like a burning or is it like uh, somebody well, hitting you? I mean, how does it how does it hurt? Just picture the muscles between the probes being tightened as tight as as your body can possibly get them for five seconds. Ugh. All right. It's like, it's like it's, this is a good way to describe it. It's like the world's largest cramp. <laughs> times, it's times, an all-over cramp. Times a million. It's a body. So it only it only locks up the muscles between the probes. It's a it's a body it's a body cramp. Um, right. So now, if you carry one of these, and you guys carry the one kind that it's the taser as opposed to the stun gun or whatever, it's the kind that shoots the little darts, right? Right. So do you have to uh, file a report every time you fire that thing? Absolutely. Have you had to fire it yet? Yes, I have. Was it satisfying on some level? It, it, um, yeah, it works. I can tell you that. I mean, it, it, because it probably, if somebody's giving you the guff or whatever, I mean, it probably cuts that short promptly, I would imagine. Well, first of all, there is no nice way to take somebody who doesn't want to go. Right. Re regardless of you, if you spray them with mace or run up and put your hands on them or hit them with a stick, I mean, there's just no nice way to do it. But the nice thing about the taser is is that it takes us completely out of danger. I was going to ask, this sounds like a dumb question, but what makes the taser better than, like, macing a guy? Well, for one thing, um, once you mace him, then I have to put him in the, in the back of my car, and then when I take him to jail, everywhere he goes for the next, till he takes a shower, is contaminated. Oh, that's true. And he, and he can't, and does it mace, does that blind you? Uh, it just burns. It All right. slams your eyes shut, but it just burns. All right. So, but the, so then you have to go, yeah, he has to get, like, a big hose down or a scrubbing or something, probably. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. But it's uh, the same report, whether I mace him or tase him or whatever. All right. And then, so what is, if I, if I can ask this, uh, so in terms of tasing a guy, is that a thing where you have to wait until you feel that you are in danger? Uh, no, he just has to be under arrest and refusing to go. So if, they, if, he, so if he is under, uh, this is for people who are listening, by the way, as we always say, this is yet another reason why when a cop tells you to do something, you just do it. Uh, because if you try to arrest somebody and he resists in any way, even if he just resists verbally, Theoretically speaking, can you just give him a good tasing right then and there? I can. If I'm in any oh, situation where I, where I would normally put my hands on somebody, I can tase him at the same time. Really? That's that's true. So any uh, so if any situation where you would have the option of grabbing him, you by definition have the option of tasing him or macing him or hitting him with my stick. Could you do all yeah. three? Um, that would probably be excessive. I mean, but I mean, just between you and I. I mean, like, oh. is that the sort of thing that if a guy really had it coming, you could do all three? 
one doesn't work, so you always have to put two different ones. I like the cut of your jib, sir. Well done. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for calling. Stay safe. Thank you for listening, sir. That's your best show ever. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. There you go. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, who's ready for the top five? Oh, I am. All right. Five, let's do the top four, five. Four, three, two, one, fire. I love to count, don't you? Here's Tim Riley with today's top five list. And what would music be without the collaboration, the partnership, the guest appearance? Join us now as we look back at these, the top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. These are the top five songs recorded in or prior to 1990 featuring a guest appearance from another artist. Honorable mention goes to Iggy Pop and Candy. Iggy Pop from Candy featuring Kate Pearson from the B-52s. This was Chris Paddock's contribution to the list. Of course it was. Now you have like such similar shapes. I, and I apologize now. There was a listener who originally suggested this list. And he also mentioned Iggy Pop and Candy. Uh, so I apologize to, uh, to him. I, I forget his name. Great song, though. And Iggy Pop is sort of like... Keith Richards, in that he can't sing, but in a really kind of charming way. This is a real career resurgence for him, too, because, uh, you know, he hit it real big with the Stooges and then just hadn't done a whole lot as sort of a solo artist. He was just sort of famous for having been that guy. Uh, but this album, Brick by Brick, was, uh, was a real comeback for him. Great hook, too. And yeah, we've got to play it. Kate Pearson looks hot in this video, too. It looks beautiful. And in the video, she's like, I think she's way in the background or something. Yeah. Kate Pearson, ladies and gentlemen. Top five songs featuring a guest appearance, Tim Riley. Number five, Rick James and Super Freak. Now, I didn't actually know this one. Uh, Fatboy was telling me about this. So, you know who's singing in the background here, Tim? Do you know this? I don't think I do. It's The Temptations. I had no idea. Which I guess he actually says at one point. I think, I guess at one point in the song, Rick James actually says something like, Temptations what? Or something like that. Or Temptations sing it. But doing all those backup vocals on the whoa, whoa and everything, I guess that's the Temptations. I bet this is one of those songs that the minute he wrote it, he knew that this was going to make him a billion dollars. He must have just known the instant he put pen to paper that this is going to be a huge hit. Right there, Temptations. This video is pretty glorious. Yeah. It's a great song, it really is. Yeah. 
Excellent. Counting down the top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Tim Riley. Number four, the U2, When Love Comes to Town. Featuring B.B. King on guitar. Boy, B.B. King, is he alive or dead? Oh. I'm not going to venture a guess at that one. Boy, I don't know. I know that John Lee Hooker's dead. Uh, and uh, what's it? Who just that? Bo Diddley's dead. I think BB King is still alive. I don't really know. I though. believe he is still alive, according to the Wikipedia. Born in 1925. Yeah, he's going to be still alive. He's appearing at the Pacific Amphitheater July 11th. Yeah. Timmy Ryan says B.B. King is alive. Thank you, Timmy Ryan. He's playing at the Orange County Fair. Really? Yeah. Well, that would necessitate his living, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to duct tape him to a microphone. And he has that great... I mean, B.B. King, you talk about a guitar tone you can pick up from anywhere. He is one of those guys that plays very few notes, but the notes he plays are what matter. I mean, they're really, they're the notes that count, as they say. Excellent. Counting down the top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance. Number three, Peter Gabriel, Don't Give Up. Boy, what a great song this is. Don't Give Up, which I think is off of, is it off of So? I think it might be off of So, featuring Kate Bush on vocals. Do you know the song, Sarah? I don't know. Oh, this is just like the most beautiful song ever written. It's and it's a really simple story. It's a it's a song about a guy who's unemployed and can't find a job, and uh, he's just feeling really down and feeling really, you know, like less than a man because he can't provide. And then the female counterpoint is either his wife or his girlfriend. I guess it's probably his wife, uh, and she's just singing, "Don't give up, don't give up." It's just it's the greatest song. In this proud land, we grew up strong. God, what a voice. The video is so beautiful because of its simplicity. The video is just Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush, and they're just in this embrace. They're just hugging, and they're on like a like a rotating floor or something. And over the course of the video, it just turns like 360 degrees a couple times. And I mean, that's the you know that's the that's the whole of the video. Have you ever seen um, or heard the song Haunted by Shane McGowan yeah. and Sinead O'Connor? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of That's vibe. Cool. That is the most beautiful song I've ever heard yeah. from them. Oh, all right. Counting down the top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance, Tim Riley. Number two, The Beatles, with My Guitar Gently Weeps. Now, this is sort of the definitive. I mean, a lot of people would argue this should be number one. The only reason it's not number one is because it wasn't, I would say, crucial to the song's success. It's not what made this a hit song or a great song. But I do believe the lead guitar on While My Guitar Gently Weeps is Eric Clapton. Certainly George Harrison's crowning moment. God, where would Cheap Trick be without this song? 
that George Harrison came up with a good song and had the guts to submit it. Because imagine being a songwriter like you're working with Lennon and McCartney. Well, it must be more than a little intimidating to come to the studio like, and there's John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You're like, I've got this thing that I've written. Please don't laugh. Ringo Starr tells stories about how he would actually bring songs to the studio that he'd written. And he says this in the documentary. You feel so bad for me. He says that, he says that John and Paul used to laugh at him. Ringo would be like, lads, I have this song I've put together. And he'd play it for them. And he said that they, he said that they, as he puts it, they would just fall about the place laughing. And they'd be like, no, Ring, there's no way that's going on the record. Sort off. Well, what could he do? Counting on the top five pre-1990 songs featuring a guest appearance, Tim Riley. Number one, Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. Now, Sarah, do you know the song? Somebody's yeah. watching me. Do you know what? who this is? Do you no. know the guest appearance? Uh-uh. I'm not going to say it. We'll, uh... By the way, this guy Rockwell, I forget his real name. He is the son of Motown Records owner and executive Barry Gordy, which is kind of how he got this record deal. Tim Riley's gone. All right. I just know the song from, um, like, movies or, you know, some kind of kitschy part in a movie. Is this the video? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, um... So it's him sort of like in the shower or like in the kitchen or something, like feeling all freaked out. What is Rockwell's thought... real name? I can't remember his real name. I've never heard of Rockwell. Who's this, Sarah? Michael Jackson? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean... Come on. I mean, that's calling in the favor of favors. Yeah, seriously. Is this like his cousin or something? No, I mean, well, I mean, uh, so Rockwell is the son of Barry Gordy, who owns Motown Records. So on the one hand, Dad says, hey, how would you like to put out a record? Oh, and would you like me to get Michael Jackson to sing the hook? Oh, he's good looking, too. Yeah. So the only reason the song was a hit, obviously, which is why this is number one, is because Michael Jackson sings the hook. I mean, it's like getting, you know, it's like, hey, hey, kid, would you like Wayne Gretzky to come play on your, like, your your junior hockey team this afternoon? Because this guy, of course, as you can tell, can't sing. I mean, he's sort of shouting his lyrics. But it doesn't really matter when Michael Jackson is singing your hook, especially in 1984 or whenever. I think it's post-thriller. All right. Back after this. Uh, if you're on hold, hang tight. We'll do random calls uh, following this break. Uh, like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. All right. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Let's see how many calls we can get rid of the end of the show. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Waiter is... Man, makes me nervous now. Last call. Okay. No pressure. Um, anyways, I wanted to tell you a story about uh, some friends of mine. We went and we got really, really drunk drunk, went over to one of our friend's place, got some sleep, stuff like that. One of my friends super hyper when he gets drunk. Mm-hmm. Woke me up. He was like, dude, check this out, check this out. So he runs into the kitchen, grabs a Sharpie, goes over to one of my other friends who's asleep, draws, you know, 
the guy's jumped on the side of his face, <laughs> wakes, wakes him up. He's like, dude, 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 let's go to Sherry's. Let's go to Sherry's. And as some people know, especially stoners, <laughs> Sherry's is open like 24 oh, hours. Oh, yeah, of course. And so we go over to like one of the most popular ones. And he's got and, junk drawn on his face. Yep. Genius. And the best part was we had a female server. Oh, good yes. for you. See, that call went really well. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Hi. No more. No more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Rick. Show. Hello, Rick. Hello. Uh, uh, in deference to mermaids and uh, Sarah's current state of freedom, um, you know why mermaids wear seashell bras? No. Because B shells are too small and D shells are too big. Okay, that's good. We're going to go on on that. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye now. My apologies if you're on hold. No time to be fair to another caller. Uh, but uh, but we thank you for your love anyway. Uh, we want to thank Cena Radio Correspondents Lisa. No, wait. Who did we talk to today? Mr. Jim, Jim. Roop yeah. and Mr. Skin, uh, as well as Dan from Powell's Books of Cedar Hills Crossing. Join us tomorrow when I guess we'll include somebody and another guy and who's it? Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley in the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, is Dave Zinn. The director of engineering is Brian Jones. Uh, webmistress is Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland. Marketing guru and the Swiss Army knife of uh, CBS Radio. Susan Donak with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara show at 7. See you at 10 for the recap and 11 for the show. As always, thank you for listening. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Be safe. I'm huge. Bye now. Ugh.